G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Uh, yes, good morning everyone. Uh, Ian Smith here with you from 9 till 12 this morning with uh, a pretty chocker Monday show. We've got Glenn Phillips coming up very shortly. Of course, uh, Black Cap, he's pl- currently playing in the CPL uh, for Barbados uh, and going pretty well over the course of the last two or three months in every form of the game that he's been playing. We'll catch up with Glenn very shortly. Jason Holland, of course, the coach of the Hurricanes. Uh, talk to Jason a little bit about... Adi Savera's leadership and just how the Hurricanes are shaping up this year because they've made a couple of key signings, particularly in the Type 5 area. Glenn Lama is our course on course over in, uh, in Tokyo at the Paralympics. Uh, he's uh, the best person to talk to with what's been happening over there and boy, has it been happening very, very well uh, for New Zealand medals. plenty, so much to be proud of. Louis Herman Watt, uh, Paul Mawati, uh, the panel, of course, and uh, Vossi in his normal slot just after 11 o'clock. Some interesting stuff coming out of uh, the NRL over the last four or five days. That's us until midday. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. So it's to be Artie to take the reins. No doubting he's an 80-minute man and no doubting he's in your starting 15. He is a great ball carrier with that awesome leg drive. He doesn't tee, indeed take some stopping. He shouldn't take much following. Artie is a sound and sensible choice. And it's a Sunday afternoon kickoff, Perth time 6pm, but New Zealand time, absolutely the perfect slot. Another really good choice. The weekend headlines should belong though to our Paralympics, all of whom in life had had to make some very difficult choices. It was a late one for Lisa Adams to follow in Dame Val's footsteps. It was a great one to have her as a hands-on coach. It's a feel-good story that has ended in a prolonged sisterly embrace trackside in Tokyo. A golden celebration. And whilst the medals are a tangible reminder, the true achievement is the participation, the realisation of a commitment to overcome. Every athlete from every country has that in common. Remarkable stories, all of them. Without doubt. There have been some dumb choices though of late. What about Daniel Jarvis, the pitch invader, who twice now has uh, invaded England versus England? Jarvo, wearing his uh, Indian uniform, pads, bats, inclusive, and number 69 on his back, strangely, uh, is banned for life now from Headingley. Jarvo is a comedian, a professional prankster, And believe it or not, he has a subscriber base on YouTube of 105,000 people have made silly choices. Cristiano Ronaldo made a poor choice. Should have gone to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, not Old Trafford. Adam Elliott and Millie Boyle made poor choices. They had a toilet tryst. They should have gone to separate toilets. The point is, much of life is about choice and ramifications. 
So here we are, we enter another week of lockdown. Let's hope we can begin to get some freedom in our choice. And whether it's one o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock or six o'clock, please let the news be better because my bubble is close to bursting. Uh, the CPL is up and running, of course, uh, the Caribbean Premier League. Uh, we've got uh, quite a few players uh, and commentators involved over there, one of whom uh, in the playing side of things is uh, Glenn Phillips, who is forging a reputation as one of the most dangerous batsmen in T20 cricket around the globe at the moment. Uh, fresh off uh, making his mark in the 100 competition, the new one in the UK, he's now in the Caribbean representing the Barbados Royals, uh, coached by... Daniel Vittori, yep, Dan Vittori's back in the uh, Premier League coaching circle. Uh, so, uh, so good morning to Glenn. Uh, what's the time, uh, Barbados time or West Indian time over there? Oh, hello. That's a good start to the week, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, Smithy, uh, just, just coming in here. Uh, he's just dropped off the line. Great intro. Uh, great intro. We're just uh, getting him <laughs> up again. Um, he's over there in St. Yeah. Kitts, I think. I think it's about five, oh, right. five in the evening. Uh, he played three games in a row. Uh, uh, so just had his third game in a row yesterday, so he's probably just got his feet up with a nice red stripe or something. Uh, but he's back on the line, and you can join him now, Smithy. Hello, Glenn. It's uh, Ian Smith here calling from uh, New Zealand, of course. Um, mate, uh, just, just wondering, um, how's it over there uh, in the Caribbean? Uh, have you settled in okay? Yeah, settled in really well, actually. Uh, out on the beach currently soaking up some of the sun, and uh, we've got a nice little breeze going. So I'm enjoying the heat of the Caribbean as opposed to the cold of New Zealand at this point in time. Yeah, the cold and the lockdown of New Zealand, so I think there's uh, any number of thousand people wouldn't mind being on a warm beach at the moment, mate, so we're a little bit jealous. <laughs> I'll try not to make you guys too jealous. <laughs> okay, Glenn, look, uh, congratulations. Uh, you made a, a pretty good start to uh, the CPO with a, a 56 not out knock the other day. Um, how are you enjoying uh, the Caribbean Premier League so far? Dropped off again, Smithy. Just uh, this line to the Caribbean is just not good. Maybe it's uh, some sand getting stuck in his phone or something on that beautiful <laughs> beach he's walking on, uh, which is a bugger because I watched oh, him play yesterday and he was so yeah. good and he's been going so well in all formats. So I'm just really interested to hear just what's clicked for him lately. Um, I guess he owns the fastest ever T T uh, T20 century by a black cap. Uh, he scored them before for Auckland, but now he's doing it in Cardiff. He's doing it in the Caribbean. He can do it wherever he wants, Smithy. Yeah, well, I mean, he is. And, and uh, that's some of the things we want to ask him about, actually, what, what kind of dedication he's had to white ball cricket. Of course, uh, he was caught into the New Zealand Test side to play the third Test against Australia in Sydney, batted mid-order. Uh, had a pretty good uh, crack at it, actually. I think he got a half century in his first innings. Had a, two or three lives, but he made the most of them. Uh, missed out in the second inning, so he's played one test, averages uh, 26. You, you don't read into that what you like, but he, he looked like uh, at the time that he was at the crease, he was quite capable for batting long periods of time, so it'd be interesting to talk to him uh, if we can get him back about whether he's still keen on red ball cricket or whether he's gone the Colin Munro way, which is to be, as um, you've put in your notes here, uh, basically a hired gun 
In other words, you, you get out there to hit the ball a long way every day you go to play cricket. So it's very interesting to see. And, and there's a number of those players around the world, particularly West Indians. Yeah, yeah. well, I guess the thing is if you want to play red ball cricket but you are a hired gun in white ball cricket, when do you get the chance to press your claims? When do you get the chance to play Plunkett Shield cricket? When do you actually get the chance to play long-form cricket when all around the world you can travel around and play in these T20 leagues? Yeah, well, there's the clash, isn't there, with our New Zealand summer uh, with uh, the BBL, the Big Bash League from Australia. So, you know, in all honesty, um, you know, it's a tough decision to make, but uh, you can make a lot of money. If you're a high-profile, high-priced cricketer with a good strike rate, and when I say a good strike rate, I mean you come off more often than you don't, uh, you'll have a good strike rate if you if you play uh, white ball cricket. But if you actually come off more than you don't, in other words, you've got a strike rate of, say, 6 out of 10, you actually make an impact on the game, that makes you a very, very valuable player. Very valuable player indeed. And certainly Glenn Phillips uh, is seriously in that, that mode at the moment where... You know, he's going through a purple patch. Um, so it looks like yeah. we, we're not going to get back through to him again, John, at, at this point. But um, he is in the T20 World Cup squad. He's not in the, either of the other two squads. Um, my understanding is he's going to go to the Premier League and play for Rajasthan, which would be one of his first uh, cracks at that. So certainly uh, he's on the radar. And once you're on the radar, you get the good gigs. Yeah, exactly. Replacing Joss Butler over there, and I now see every time, like he made that 80 off about 30 balls for Cardiff, and that they put that up on YouTube and instantly tag in Rajasthan. And so he's got so many Indian followers now. They all know about Glenn Phillips, and hopefully he'll make an impact for them. And I actually wrote down my Black Caps team. Some of the things you do when you're bored, um, and I thought, man, yep. with Glenn Phillips as well. a, a must select for the T20 World Cup, then what does our batting lineup look like? for the T20 World Cup, and this is what I came up with, Smithy. I came up with Guptill and Conway at the top. Then I came up with Williamson at three, with Phillips at four. Then I've got Daryl Mitchell at five, Jimmy Neesham at six, uh, Mitchell Santner at seven, Kyle Jamison at eight, Ish Sodi at nine, Lockie Ferguson at ten, and Trent Bolt at eleven, meaning the guys who aren't in my best eleven are Mark Chapman, Tim Southey, Tim Seifert, and Todd Astle. Uh, Is that... What you see is maybe our best eleven, or is Daryl Mitchell a bit too high there at number five for you? Or yeah, I think Daryl Mitchell there is. You've basically got him in a Ross Taylor role um, because he's not a a big six hitter initially. He's a builder, and uh, he's the kind of guy who'll fix if you're in trouble. But you've got Williamson there to do that. Um, I, I'm assuming that you're going to have Conway as wicketkeeper. Uh, I was going to ask Glenn Phillips because he's a very adept wicketkeeper as well. He's got good skills there. Whether he would be uh, a possibility. Um, to actually be a, a wicketkeeper as well and how much work he's doing on that. So that would have been a, another aspect of the interview, but it doesn't look like um, we can get back through to the Caribbean. I, I mean, Caribbean has always been an interesting place <laughs> in terms of communication. Uh, you know, going way, way back, it was often quite hard to get phone lines, but particularly if you're in some of the remote, more remote islands, if he's in St Kitts, I would have thought that was built up enough to have quite a good telecommunication system, but... Uh, I think that's where Simon Dool is based at the moment in terms of his commentary. Uh, so, yeah, I, I look, disappointing, absolutely disappointing. Yeah. Uh, other news other news overnight, uh, of course, from uh, the EPL, Tottenham ma- uh, managing to get up and beat Watford. Um, and uh, that was good. Manchester United beating Wolves. So um, United have made it 28 unbeaten on the road in the league, beating Arsenal's record set back in April 2003 and September 
Uh, Leeds United came back from one uh, came back for a one-all draw against Burnley, uh, and Chris Wood, of course, uh, opened the scoring in the 61st minute there uh, against his former club. So there you go. Uh, really, in, uh, really interesting, and indeed those results from overseas. So, hey, John, it's um, I think we should take an early an early break because we don't want to talk ourselves out this early on in the piece. No, uh, no, I am I, I am in contact with Glenn Phillips mm. video. I'm texting him. He oh, says God. he's got full uh, full bars and everything. So we'll uh, take this five minutes now uh, until we come back and hopefully get Glenn back on the line somehow, Smithy. Try and work a miracle. Well, I've often got full bars in the Caribbean. That's often the problem. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. At 9.20am here on SENZ, and uh, apologies for not being able to uh, get regular contact with Glenn Phillips. We'll try Glenn again tomorrow because it's quite an interesting story, but we're going to stay with uh, our summer code and, and stay in summer mode uh, and go across to a, a bloke who is there uh, and who knows uh, a heck of a lot about his subject, and we'll probably be talking to him about uh, a bit in the next fortnight. Is Dave Worsley, of course, of NZ, SENZ fame anyway. Uh, David, uh, it starts tonight over there at Flushing Meadow, and it starts uh, without Federer. It starts without Nadal, and it starts without Serena Williams. So there's a little bit of the gloss gone for you or not? Yeah, it kind of has. It's kind of a, a little bit strange. It wouldn't matter if Federer and Nadal lost early in the tournament or Serena and Venus Williams. It's, it's more about, gee, you know, this is, uh, this is Djokovic's to win, Although I remember last year it was his to win and he sort of lost it himself by hitting a uh, Lions person. So, uh, yeah, it just makes it a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say flat, but a little bit unusual. And this is where those other players, particularly in the men's, have to take over. And perhaps we're seeing a little bit of that already with uh, Medvedev, uh, Zverev. He defeated uh, Djokovic at the um, at uh, Tokyo Olympics. In fact, Djokovic lost twice there. He lost uh, in the semifinals and then in the playoffs for the bronze as well. So maybe we're seeing a little bit of uh, a chink in uh, the armour of Djokovic, although he usually plays so well at the US Open. If he wins, he's going to get the calendar grand slam, and that'll be the first time since 1969 and Rod Laver. So it kind of feels a little flat that he'll do it without Federer and Nadal in the draw. Do you feel um, that uh, we may be just seeing the end of uh, Roger Federer in particular? I think Nadal might be still floating around, particularly the lure of the French Open is always there for him. But in terms of Federer, there's still a little while now between uh, uh, this Open, of course, and the next major. Uh, so what, what, are you, what are you seeing here? Are you seeing, I mean, is he the kind of guy who's going to plug on and, you know, thinking that the last eight is good enough for him these days? I don't think so. Yeah, it's an interesting one because he is uh, 40 years old and it just, we're making it sound as though it's decrepit as soon as you turn 40. Gee, I'm about to turn 50. Um, but, you know, it's, it's sort of one of those things, you know, the 40 just seems so old for an athlete. But when he was fit relatively uh, at the uh, at Wimbledon this year, he, he played pretty well. I'm sure he was beaten by a guy he maybe didn't expect to lose to, and, but, you know, he played well. Federer is the sort of person who will play if he thinks he's fit enough to make an impact in if he enjoys it. No one enjoys losing. So I think he'll come back and try and play, if his knee surgery goes okay, and try and play Wimbledon at least uh, next year and maybe the Australian Open if he's fit, although that's probably questionable. I think he'll keep on playing because he actually enjoys going out there 
and he enjoys playing for the crowd. It's not about money, that's for sure. It's not about rankings, that's for sure. And I think anybody, any tournament anywhere right now would say, hey, you want a wild card? Sure, I'll give it to you. Come and play. And uh, because people want to see him play one more time. Even if he gets beaten, they still want to see him play. Nadal, he isn't too far away from uh, from throwing in the towel as well. His uh, ankle injuries are a bit tough. But I believe he could actually still uh, win the French Open on one leg anyway. Uh, he's won it so many times, and he could probably just stand there and people say, here's the trophy. Uh, Dave, okay, if we look at um, we look at form, etc. Who, who do you who do you see being the biggest threat to Djokovic? Well, you've got Medvedev down the bottom of the draw. Obviously, he's been a finalist there before, and he is extremely talented as well. So he's the second seed. You've got to watch out for him. Uh, but I actually think Zverev, if he can get away from the issues that he's got off the court. Uh, yeah, that's uh, a bit of a tough one at the moment. The assault and battery against his uh, ex-girlfriend in Germany. If he can uh, get away from that, he can uh, defeat Djokovic. And they would face off in the quarterfinals, mate, that I think the semifinals. So that would be a uh, tough draw there. In fact, Djokovic doesn't have an easy draw. Uh, there's also these other Russian players, uh, Rublev as well. He's playing really good form at the moment. But you've got Kashinov from Russia. You've got Medvedev from Russia. So we're seeing a few of these guys coming in from Eastern Europe, from Russia, who are making an impact and are in the top 10 and don't really have too much fear of Djokovic. They know they're going to have to play incredibly well, probably the best that they could, uh, and maybe see Djokovic go off one notch to actually defeat him. So I think if you're, if you're going to throw some stupid money, um, well, you could just put it on Medvedev, but then that's, he's the second seed, so it sort of spoils it. Uh, looking for a total outsider, oh, yeah, maybe um, yeah, maybe uh, Rublev, uh, the Russian, would be, and I wouldn't even call him that much of an outsider. It's just when you have such a big favourite in Djokovic. Yeah, I, I think you've really got to look at one of those other Russians, uh, Rublev or Medvedev, and um, maybe, oh, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling for someone else, I'm sorry. What about the Greek player, Tsitsipas? Is he uh, a possibility? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he could. Uh, I've almost chosen not to support him since he's deciding not to have a uh, not to have a vaccination, but then so is Djokovic as well. In fact, the bizarre thing is that the uh, police in New York have said, no, no, you've got to. Fans who go to Arthur Ashe Court have to have a uh, vaccination passport as such or some proof of vaccination, but the players don't. Weird. I mean, how do, how do you feel about that, that, you know, that people, spectators, it'd be in cricket as well, I guess, if you had the same thing. Hey, spectators, you could be vaxxed, but you players don't have to. Doesn't that seem unusual? Yeah. I, I, I think you take uh, the player's status out, out of um, pandemics, to be fair. I think uh, when it comes to a pandemic, it doesn't choose between if you're a good tennis player or if you're a very good spectator. Um, to be fair, I think you, you've got yeah. uh, an onus on you. If, if those things, if those things, if those uh, vaccinations are readily available, and they would have been for him over a period of time, oh, he has no excuse. He has no excuse. So I think yeah. pressure has to go there. Well, uh, speaking of pressure, uh, Dave, uh, there's been nothing but pressure. It seems on Naomi Osaka. Uh, Serena Williams is out of this tournament. Uh, how do you see the Osaka bid, uh, particularly? Uh, from a, a you know a psychological point of view, well, she gave a conference uh, a day or so ago, and uh, she seems better 
um, but you're never really too sure. She seems better as in um, when she addressed the media in person as well. There was some media there and, uh, you know, in the actual room and some via uh, remote as well. Uh, so they are allowing some media. Um, I was allowed, but then you'd have to sit away from everybody else and it was going to be very weird and uh, it just wasn't worth it, and plus the MIQ coming back. But you sort of look at it and you think, well, she's got a pretty decent draw. I mean, you've got Ash Barty as the number one who's won five tournaments this year despite a, a weird year. And, um, you know, Osaka, well, she's not the um, she's not actually the second seed. That goes to Sabalenka, who most people don't actually know. I actually think this year... There's less pressure on her than last year. I know that sounds bizarre. Last year she actually won it, but you know, it was uh, it was a strange kind of tournament with no spectators. Whereas this year they're trying to have full capacity. I, th- I think she may have got a lot out of her system uh, with the issues of the court and the pressure and uh, all that sort of thing. I think uh, she had a bit of an issue in the previous tournament uh, where she walked out on the conference because uh, you know she she got pretty wound up about things, and that's that's fair enough. But she sounded a lot better in the media conference that she gave prior to the tournament. So if we can go by how she sounded and how she looked, uh, yeah, to me, she and uh, Ash Barty are the two big players who uh, can really win this, more so than anybody else. I, I don't know if there's anybody else. Bianca Andreescu is too injured all the time. You, you've really got to look at these two as, as the players to win. Maybe Kerber, no, probably not. Uh, yeah, those are the, really the two big players to win the tournament here. New Zealand interest, Dave, of course, in the doubles, and uh, we, we could have uh, relatively high hopes here on the back of Olympic form, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, Marcus Daniel and uh, Mike Venus aren't playing together. Uh, however, with their respective partners, they could do okay. I mean, the problem is that they, they none of them actually are in the three. Artem Cetak's not playing this year. His rankings just dropped a little bit. But usually the three players struggle a little bit at the US Open. I don't know why they do well at the Aussie. They do well at the French and at Wimbledon. However, at the US, I think it's maybe a traditional year. It's the end of the year or end of the slams, and it's just a bit of a struggle. And um, none of them have actually gone past the third round, although Mike's done well in the mix, but that doesn't mean much. Just, you know, it's hit and giggle and prize money. Uh, no rankings there. So I... No, the draw hasn't been done yet for the doubles. It should be in a couple of days' time. Kind of is uh, with, with doubles, you know, there's some players that just go out there and just try and honk it, basically. Just just smack it at you. There's no tactics. It's just hit it hard, and if, you, you know, if it comes back, hit it harder again. Uh, every now and then you come up against someone who's a bit more skilled um, and knows the tactics of doubles. But you know, Mike Venus himself is highly respected. He's ranked about 20 in the world at the moment. Has been top 10. I actually think uh, he could go far, but again, with doubles, you're sort of in a little bit of a guess as to how uh, things will go in the end. So Dave Worsley there, um, actually, uh, with us. And Dave, of course, thanks very much for that, helping us out a wee bit. Uh, also, Dave, uh, keep your phone on too, because over the next couple of weeks, uh, we will be ringing you on a regular basis with updates, results, and whys and wherefores about the US Tennis Open. It's 9.30. To be able to lead such a team, um, yeah, it's, it's out of this world, mate, when I think about it. And to be able to tell mum and dad, um, it's, it's huge. Like, two people that migrated from Samoa, 
um, to, to create a better life for their kids. Yeah, it's, um, sorry, getting a bit emotional, eh? But it's pretty crazy. And, um, yeah, like, To be here for them, it's um, pretty special. Yeah, proud moment for Adi Savir. Extremely emotional for he and his family over the weekend when he was named the All Blacks captain. There was some conjecture about the options that Ian Foster might go for, but it will be Adi Savir that leads us out uh, against Australia at Perth at the weekend. Uh, proud moment for his Hurricanes coach too. I'm sure Jason Holland, who's been very much part of Artie's development uh, as a leader. Good morning, Jason. Uh, how did you feel when you heard uh, Artie's name mentioned? Yeah, morning, Smitty. Uh, yeah, no, look, I'm delighted for him. Um, you know, listening to that again, he's a he's a man that wears his heart on his sleeve and obviously means a hell of a lot to him. But, uh, yeah, no, it's awesome. He's uh, an a, a leader in his own way, Ard, how he sort of loves to lead by example. And, and he's, he's a guy that has a real... Um, emphasis on making sure the people around him are, are really comfortable so he's, you know the boys love him so he'll play his part in that in that leadership group and maybe the Bodies and the italics might pull the strings on you know with the footy a little bit more and you know to make sure the boys are all pulling in the wrong right direction so now pretty happy for us it's uh it's awesome from so what what does he do in, in your environment in the hurricanes environment um, that you notice, uh, like during the week, for instance, uh, you know, as you get ready to name your squad, as you get ready to practice combinations, uh, is Artie vocal or is he just, uh, you know, a man of his actions in that respect? Uh, look, he's he's vocal when he needs to be, and, and I think you know, as a leader, you, when you speak and people turn around, oh, she's I'm, I'm, you know, I'm taking heed of whatever's been said here. He's, he speaks when he needs to be uh, to speak, but he's the one thing that I notice with Ards is that. The little bits he does behind the scenes that you might not uh, pick up the first time, like uh, making sure you know he, he sorts out people that haven't quite nailed their roles and and sees where people are at uh, mentally. So he's and he works away behind the scenes without he'd do a hell of a lot that people wouldn't see, to be honest. You think captaincy comes naturally to him? I mean, you know, you look at some leaders and you just know they're leaders from the get go, but and and others uh, develop the art of leadership as they develop their own game. Where, where do you think uh, Adi Savir fits in in that bracket? Oh, I think, I think he's, he's really natural in the a, in a leadership group these, these days. He's, he plays a massive part, as I said earlier. So you know, the, the captaincy and the leadership part is definitely you know, becoming more and more natural to him. Um, but the way that leadership groups and captains operate these days, I reckon is perfect for Adi to be that guy who, who can be the boss but um, have a couple of you know, really strong, influential guys around tactically and technically around the game to work with them. Talking to Jason Holland, of course, who's uh, head coach at the Hurricanes, about Artie Savier and the Hurricanes uh, as well and, and other matters. Uh, um, in the loose forward mix that the All Blacks have available to them, uh, obviously Artie's uh, going to be a starter. He's probably going to be an 80-minute man. Where, where do you see uh, his role in the mix that they've got now? Uh, look, I... Um Oh, I still like Artis at eight. Um, I've sort of said that for a few years, and, and I still think that that's a that's a spot for him. Um, I think with him and Dalton at seven and eight, I'm I'd be pretty happy with that. But 
you know, he, he can slot in. I've got a few, few tests to get through in the next few months, and um, I'm sure he'll he'll play a bit of both. But uh, for me, he gets his hands on the ball at eight a little bit more, and those carries, trademark carries, you see, you don't see as many of them when he's playing seven for me, and, and that game line and the carry is massive in the game these days, I reckon. Dane Coles is uh, out with injury. Um, he's uh, had issues with uh, a calf problem. He's had a few of those. Is, is that a bit of a concern to him? Are you, are you keeping in touch with Coles here a wee bit? Yeah, had a little couple of messages with Colsey. Um, you know, he he's another man that wears his heart on his sleeve, and so you know, you know when he's really disappointed or when he's really up. But uh, you know, he's he's been there before with the the calf. It's a little niggly one that linked to his back, and he's just got to keep getting his back right. But uh, oh, look, he's he'll bounce back. You know, he's he gets really really disappointed when he first gets injured, but he's seen about his rehab massively at the moment with us, and um, I'm sure he'll be joining that tour at some stage. Looking forward to next season uh, with uh, at the Hurricanes. Uh, what stage are you at now uh, in terms of uh, finalising squad members uh, and programmes uh, with what's coming up? Yeah, you work away and we've got five or six spots to fill. Um, you know, you normally fill that through the, the Bunnings, and but that's obviously on hold now. So we've, we're on hold a little bit, got five or six spots to fill, but... Um, yeah, it's probably a good opportunity for us as coaches to sort of switch off a little bit from the footy and um, sort of enforced by COVID. But uh, watching a hell of a lot of league and golf at the moment, to be honest. But um, you know, we're we're in good shape. We got some we're some good additions there in the uh, in the forwards there with um, a couple of key boys in key positions and um, and looking to develop a lot of the young boys that have had a year and you know year of super already and and hoping for them to really make some some big strides going forward next year. Well, you've got a couple of uh, former All Blacks coming into the mix, the other ones you're talking about, I'm sure. First of all, uh, Owen Franks and, and what he could bring to a uh, uh, front row, to be fair, that's still very much in the developing phase, even though you've, you've got a couple of All Blacks in there, two or three All Blacks, and you, you lose forward mix. They're still, as a unit, still developing. So what does Owen Franks bring to you? Yeah, look, I think first and foremost, Owen's looking forward to coming back and and performing, um, the easy thing for us to do would say, well, let's, let's look to Owen to help develop everyone around him. But uh, first and foremost, he's desperate to come back and, and play some good footy and really you know, stamp his mark on it with his rugby. But the obvious things that we'll see from him is he's a, the ultimate professional. Um, boys will just will learn just by watching him, just by rubbing shoulders with him as the way he operates and what his days look like and what he eats and all those sorts of things. Um, and obviously the stuff around the set piece he'll be massive with. So... We're really looking forward to him, and as I say, he's really looking forward to coming back and competing to, to play and, and and dominate some scrums. Um, and obviously, Don Bird's coming back as well. You mentioned the All Blacks. He's, he's come back and started well with Wellington and fitted straight in, and boys are loving the uh, the little bit of detail he's bringing to the lines and their, their line-out stuff. So, uh, yeah, those two boys will be massive for us going forward. And TJ Perinara back, uh, and, and that adds, uh, certainly adds... Uh, a lot to your leadership group, and I mean, we just know then uh, when TJ Perinara puts on the Hurricanes jersey, things happen. Yeah, like he's uh, TJ's awesome to have him around. You know, the energy goes up a couple of levels when TJ comes around, and um, you know he'll, he'll be awesome to have back. Uh, we had you know some young nines doing a good job last last year, but we've got you know having TJ back will be um, just another level of, as you say, a bit of leadership, a bit of energy, and a bit of bit of maybe some game management stuff for us. So, you know, he's, he's obviously... It'll be great to have back, and, and the boys will be looking forward to that. 
just one jersey out is the 10 jersey, your general. Who, who are you looking at and how, how uh, you, you're filling that spot there for your, your pivot? Uh, we're still like uh, one of the younger guys I talked around who we look, look forward to learning from his time. Was obviously Ruben played a little bit of there. Ruben Love played there and um, he's still there and, and I know he's impressing a few people around the place but he's uh, we're looking forward to seeing working really hard with him to get him to the next another level. Uh, Jackson Garden Bishop's coming back. He had an Achilles and is just about back into it now. Um, and another young fellow, Ada Morgan's there at ten. So we're it's a little bit we're a little bit undecided as to whether we we need to uh, get another spot spot in there for ten. But um, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, no, looking for some real development from some of those young boys. We just got a text in, actually. Uh, as uh, can you ask Jason if Artie has signed for the Hurricanes next year? Uh, yeah, I I'm, think he's he's definitely well. <laughs> you never say definitely in this game, but no, he he is going to. I think it's a matter of that just crossing the T's and dotting the I's with New Zealand rugby at the moment. Okay, Jace, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for for your time this morning. Great news for for Artie, uh, and uh, it sounds like you've got things. Uh, Ticking over pretty well in your development. Uh, all the best with that. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Mother. Cheers, mate. Jason Holland there, head coach of the Hurricanes, with his thoughts on uh, Adi Savier as the new all-black captain uh, and the way that the Hurricanes are starting to build with experience. Uh, a lot of experience coming into that pack all of a sudden in a couple of areas that might have needed some attention as well. Uh, Dominic Bird uh, will add a lot of height to the line-out. And, of course, uh, Owen Franks, over 100 test matches for the All Blacks. His value is completely and utterly undoubted. 88.33 is our text number, 0800 uh, Subjects for the day could uh, well be. Uh, how proud, how proud of the Paralympians are you? Uh, particularly uh, Lisa Adams. What a story that is uh, with big sister coaching. Just one of the great romantic stories, actually, about New, Ze- New Zealand sport. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a key one for me. Uh, and anything else, perhaps, that uh, has caught your fancy o- over the weekend. Uh, the Warriors is finally done and dusted. I think math- mathematically we can throw that one away uh, and f- throw that phrase away too this year. Mathematically done. Uh, maybe your final thoughts uh, on the Warriors. Are we even thinking about next year yet? Uh, 88.33 is our text number. Then gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 9.48 here on SENZ, uh, Paralympic action today. This is day six, uh, Jesse Reynolds uh, in the pool with uh, Sophie Pascoe. Uh, both of them uh, looking to qualify in backstroke events uh, and then their finals will be uh, at 8.14, 8.21 respectively. Uh, those uh, heats at 12.07, 12.19. Uh, in the shooting, uh, Michael Johnson uh, is in action in the uh, 10 metre air rifle standing. Uh, and in the athletics, uh, William Stedman. Uh, at later tonight at 10.14, he will be in the men's long jump. Uh, if you're keeping up with the golf and uh, you want an update, uh, I'll give you one. If you uh, don't want an update because you're taping it, just uh, turn the radio off momentarily. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Cantley are heading down the 18th as we speak. DeChambeau is 27 under, Cantley is 26 under. They're both at uh, very good drives. Uh, so uh, DeChambeau has a one-shot lead there, and he is powering it off the tee. He hit one, one uh, just previously 362 yards off the tee, so cop that. Uh, that is just phenomenal. Uh, other players to do well in that tournament, Sanjay M uh, finished uh, third on 23 under, Rory McIlroy 22 under, 
uh, the South African uh, Van Royen, who uh, refuses to wear socks. Uh, he's 21 under, and Dustin Johnson and Sergio Garcia, 20 under. So uh, that's uh, live golf coming in from uh, Owing, Hill, Owing Mills in Maryland this morning. So, uh, John, uh, also a bit disappointing for Formula One fans because uh, Red Bull's Max Verstappen was declared the winner of the Belgian Grand Prix. It lasted only two laps behind a safety car um, just because of uh, heavy rain and danger to the drivers. Yeah, bizarre. And you only get half points, thank goodness. Um, when I first saw that Max Verstappen had been given the race victory after two uh, laps behind a safety car, um, I thought, that's just ridiculous. Like, what kind of crazy sport gives full points for two laps? But no, he just got half the points. But I, do you even deserve half the points? Uh, you know, like, surely just call the race off. Like, yeah, if you can only do two laps under a safety car, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So... Two laps under a safety car has allowed Verstappen to get within three points of Lewis Hamilton. Now, uh, maybe give you some points for qualifying, but don't give any race points. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. But, uh, I mean, uh, those rules are in, in concrete and they have been for, for donkey's years, but um, that is the way of it. Uh, I would have just thought, you know, if you can't have it properly as a motor race, because it's not a race, is it? It's not technically not a race, uh, then you don't dish out points at all, so... It's a bit like it's a bit like you know back in the days of the NRL when you got two points for having a buy. I mean, really, what, what was the point of that? If everyone had the same yeah. buys, why would you give points? It was just bizarre. Yeah, uh, still do. Anyway, <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, speaking of the NRL too, the uh, did you see the the tackle on Joseph Manu or a non-tackle? Uh, this Latrell Mitchell, he showed no uh, remorse, no pity. Has has made no contact or anything after that. Uh, I'm going to talk to Vossi about that after eleven o'clock because I'm sure he's pretty hot on the whole deal. That was ugly for me, and the end result was very ugly. He's had to have surgery. Yeah, this was a terrible incident. They, you, they used to be teammates, Smithy. They're good mates, Latrell Mitchell and Joey Manu. Like they used to play at the Roosters together. So for Latrell to do that and then act like he did nothing wrong, and the, the real villain here is the bunker and Henry Perinara, a New Zealander. Man, if you've watched NRL over the years, you'll know this guy makes some absolutely bizarre decisions. And this was a bizarre non-decision. It took so long. It took all the Roosters players to run in, including Joseph Manu himself, who had a broken face, to actually stand up for himself and be like, hey, he's shouldered me in the face. Like, this is ridiculous. And so the refs finally get together and they give him 10 minutes in the sin bin, Smithy. Just a shoulder yeah. to the face that's broken the guy's face, and they weren't going to do anything to start off with, and then he gets 10 in the bin. I bet your Vossi's going to fire up about this because I'm fired up. Well, I, it just looked to me as if he's is a bit arrogant about the whole deal. That was that was the thing that that really disappointed me about it. You know, you know, sometimes when you have those those sort of clashes, and and one guy comes off so badly, I mean, his face just ballooned up straight away. He actually shows some interest on how he is. You know, a little bit of fellowship, a bit of goodwill within the league. But he appeared to show nothing, Latrell Mitchell. I don't know what he's like. I'm going to ask Andrew Voss. I'm going to ask what he's like as a bloke. But he didn't uh, show a very good side of himself uh, the other night. 9.53 here on SENZ. When we come back, it's multi-time. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Oh, quickly, I can tell you uh, in the golf that uh, Patrick Cantlay's just sunk a 25-footer on the last for birdie, and now DeChambeau has about a 15-footer 
uh, for Birdie also uh, to win. Otherwise, if he misses that, they'll go down a playoff hole. Uh, in terms of the multi over the weekend, we were dead stiff. Talk about lipping out. It's exactly what we did. Uh, DeChambeau's missed, by the way. It will be a playoff. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, we, we lipped out in terms of our multi. West Ham drew. If they hadn't uh, have drawn, we would have got home with, with the big result. So today... I'm still bored with confidence over that. The Yankees to beat the Oakland A's at a buck sixty-two. Uh, I think that's a good one. Uh, the U.S. Tennis Open uh, begins tonight. Uh, the Australian Millman, John Millman, uh, is up against Larkison. He'll beat him at a dollar forty-six, and I think a pretty good value too, as well as uh, Simona Halep to beat Camilla Georgie at a dollar seventy-six. So that is a net return if you multi that up at four dollars sixteen. Amazing scenes uh, in the golf, really is. Brilliant performance by Cantley to come back, and uh, only playing for uh, around about 12 million today, so nothing on it, nothing on it. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Well, New Zealand has secured four medals so far at the Paralympics in Tokyo, uh, all through the ladies, actually. Uh, hopefully more to come tonight. You'd think so anyway, wouldn't you, with Sophie Pascoe back in the pool in one of her preferred strokes. Uh, and William Steadman in the long jump. Now, we're, we're joined by uh, our man on the spot over there. I won't necessarily say our man, but our being New Zealand's man on the spot. Uh, commentator uh, Glenn Lama, of course, a very familiar voice. Uh, we've heard him doing... Uh, some of uh, the wheelchair rugby. So first of all, I think we'll start on the wheelchair rugby, uh, Glenn, and, and move forward after that. Um, what have you made of, of the, the New Zealand performances? Would you have, have expected them perhaps to get a victory uh, in their pool play? Uh, look, um, Ian, morning to you, mate. It's a, it's a, that's a tough question. Uh, look, uh, what, have I, what have I made of the World Blacks? You'd have to say they were off the pace. I mean, there's no um, other way of, of saying it, really. I saw all eight teams here, and New Zealand really was a distant um, eighth of uh, of the other seven. They were uh, they only got in because Japan were the host country, and that opened up a spot for another team from the Asia Oceania region. Australia have been a very good team for many years now. I mean, they won the last two gold medals at the Paralympic Games, so it's uh, you have to be very good to knock them off. Um, so we came in. And, uh, you know, we only had eight players in our side. Every other team had the maximum of 12. So I think we're a bit down on troops, resources at the moment, and it, and it showed out on court. So uh, if, if, we'd, if we'd managed a victory somewhere in, our, in, the, in all four games, it would have been a, a pretty amazing achievement, but um, it really wasn't to be, no. So the, the players themselves, I imagine at some point you've been able to Perhaps catch up with them. I'm not sure about your bubble requirements or whatever. Uh, how do we how do we develop? How do we get better? I mean, uh, when you say we only had eight players out of a possible twelve, do we just simply not have the numbers playing the game back here? Yeah, look, it's uh, that's a really interesting question. I think the reason um, we've been overtaken because we were once very good. I mean, we, we won a gold medal in Athens and a bronze in, mm. in Sydney. Um, and then, and then we, we, we were fifth in Beijing, and then we didn't qualify for London or, or Rio. So what's happened here, and what became pretty apparent to me after watching the, the first day of action here, is that the other seven teams are all really well-resourced. They've got way more um, you know, management and support staff in their teams than, than we have. 
and um, that is, there's, there's clearly been some some effort gone into making those teams as best as they can possibly be. Now, uh, you know, people have to fundraise to get the Wheel Blacks to places, Ian. Um, I'm not sure if that happens in other countries uh, that were here, but it didn't look apparent to me that that was the case, that they were fully funded teams, you know, here to win, win gold medals. Um, so I, I think a major rethink has to happen, actually, with the Wheel Blacks, because... You know, it's got the name rugby in it. It's kind of in our soul. You know, we expect um, our rugby national teams to perform at a very high level, and the Wheel Blacks haven't on this occasion. So something needs to be done going forward. And um, I thought about this, actually, you know, when after we played a couple of games, um, and I did a bit of investigating, and I actually ran into the, the head of New Zealand Paralympics um, organisation at the World Chair Rugby one day and asked her about it. And I, I said to her, how do you reckon, um, or what do you reckon about New Zealand rugby actually adopting the Wheel Blacks under their wing, you know, taking them under their umbrella? And she said, well, that's an interesting idea because a, a few other sports here are going to be incorporated into their national bodies. And I thought, well, look, if, if wheelchair rugby could be taken under New Zealand rugby's wing, and it never has been under New Zealand rugby's wing, Ian, then it's a win-win for everyone. First of all, it looks great for New Zealand rugby that they're now becoming, as we like to term in New Zealand and in the world these days, a more inclusive organisation. It would allow the Wheel Blacks to tap into that wonderful uh, knowledge that New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks have built up off, off, uh, over a long period of time about how to performers, a high-performance athlete, how to train, all that sort of stuff. And it would give some really, it's a good access to heaps of resources that the Wheel Blacks over a, over a period of time from here on and going forward would be able to become a bit a better side going forward because I think it's pretty clear over the last five to ten years that we've been left in the dust a little bit by other countries that have manage to get more resources into their team. So I'm wondering if that might be a future kind of idea. I, I have no idea whether it's, if, if, whether it's going to happen. I have no idea whether New Zealand rugby would be interested in doing this. Um, I, I would say probably not at the moment. You've got a few bigger fish to fry at the moment, given the, the times we live in. But I think it's certainly worth a discussion, Ian, because it's a great sport. There are good people playing. And if we can get a gold medal again in wheelchair rugby, I think the, the, the country would love it. Yeah, well, I'm not sure that we take too kindly to any of our rugby teams going through a tournament without winning anything and, and um, you know, being under-resourced and uh, not having the, the required amount of numbers. So, Glenn, I think you make a very valid point there. Uh, let's let's get on to um, uh, the silverware, first of all. Danielle Aitchison um, and Sophie Pascoe have both uh, picked up uh, silver medals. Uh, but the, the really special, uh, the two golds, I, I feel, for these uh, young ladies, uh, Tupo Naufi winning our first gold medal in the 100 backstroke. That, that, I mean, these are really special achievements and all. Just getting there is really special, but having something to show for it, for Tupu Naufi, just, just a brilliant performance. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I mean, and again, you know, you've got to be at the top of your game. I mean, this is an elite sporting competition. Um, and, uh, you know, for her to go through and win her gold medal was brilliant. Uh, Lisa Adams as well. I mean, isn't it amazing when you look at that family Ian, that, um, you know, two sisters are shot putters and uh, and the blokes seem to love basketball. And, um, you know, Stephen Adams runs around on a basketball court. I know a couple of his brothers back in the day were very good players too. So um, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool to see that family 
five, pretty much four or five members from their family now all representing New Zealand in these in these two sports. And uh, and, and you keep your eye on Sophie Pascoe. I mean, she's been uh, or recorded the fastest time in the world in two other events, the 100 backstroke, which is coming up today, and in, in, in one of her medley races. So. You know, barring you know disaster, we should she should medal in both of those, maybe even gold medals. And then later on in the week, we've got um, a guy actually that I'm looking forward to seeing a canoe sprinter, Scott Martlew, who um, I've noticed over the over the summer months and even last year was is very capable paddler, and he's been competing against able-bodied paddlers in the New Zealand rounds. And um, so keep your eye on him, Scott Martlew. Later on in the week, I think he's up on the second of September, which is I think in Three days, yeah. So look, 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 looking forward to him and seeing how he goes. One of the things that I think we all got a bit of a kick out is, is the Adam story, as you talked about. I mean, you know, they talk about the Corder family overseas with uh, the two sisters who are great golfers. The, uh, the the brother, of course, who's uh, a Grand Slam tennis player, got to the last eight in a couple of tournaments just recently. A dad, Peter Corder, is a Grand Slam winner, and, and the, the mum uh, was a top thirty. Um, women's tennis player as well in terms of world rankings. I mean, that is a special family, but uh, I look at the Adams uh, family as such, uh, and I think, man, uh, that's pretty hard to, it's pretty hard to rival that. And, and those scenes of, of Lisa Adams hugging Dame Val Adams, I, I just wonder how much Dame Val Adams got out of that, with you, uh, bearing in mind what she's been able to achieve on the world stage as well. I wonder, from a coaching point of view, just mm. how special that was for her. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, I know if that was my, if I was kind of coaching my brother or sister, and um, I was sitting in the stands watching them compete and win, I think I would get as much a, a, as of a kick out of it as I would winning myself. Wouldn't, wouldn't, I, I, would you? I mean, I'm sure you would yeah. too, Ian. You know, it's a, it's a pretty special achievement when you, when you know your flesh and blood really, uh, you know, is, is out there doing it as well, and um, and you know, you've had a hand in there coaching that person. I mean, it's um. It's just incredible. So uh, no, I agree. Those scenes were were marvelous, and I'm sure the rest of the family, which is large, um, as we know, um, would have got an absolute kick out of as much of a kick out of watching Lisa win as Val win or Stephen Adams playing in the NBA or you know Ralph and Warren back in the day playing for the Tall Blacks. So uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's an amazing family, amazing family, no question. Glenn, uh, just a, another thing uh, from uh, an outside the competing side of things. Uh, during the the Olympics uh, uh, proper, um, we didn't see a lot of the numbers of COVID and that sort of thing uh, ar- around Japan. It was all focused on Olympic performance and, and staying very much inward looking in that regard. We're starting to get the numbers back through again. What what is what are you reading the situation like uh, over there in Japan at the moment? Well, my feeling over here is that it's pretty much the same um, as to what it was when um, I arrived. Uh, I think the numbers, actually, I'm going to type into my my computer here just to see what the COVID numbers are today because uh, occasionally I, I kind of dive in and have a look. It's usually around four to 5,000 cases a day are being uh, uh, registered here. And there we are on the 28th of August 3,581 cases were uh, recorded in Tokyo. Now, the Tokyo prefecture is massive. It's like 15 million people. So we're not talking a small number here, but 3,580 cases, that's about what it was when I arrived in, in the middle of July. So it's very similar here. Um, so I've been 
But it, it's a really interesting question because I remember when I first arrived here, one of the um, one of our commentary team had got delayed um, in South Africa because he'd returned a positive test, and I was going, "Oh, jeepers, I'm going to be in close proximity to a, a guy with a COVID, COVID with a positive case. So how, how's that going to work and all that sort of stuff?" And then I'm I'm just thinking, surely he he won't be able to come. But he did come because he returned two negative tests before he flew out. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to keep my distance and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, um, as, as you often do, you have to run into these people. You have to be polite. You have to talk to them. And, you know, he was interesting telling us how, you know, what symptoms he got and, and how we felt and all that sort of stuff, how he feels now. I mean, he said that um, he still had really no sense of taste um, when he arrived. I haven't run into him for a couple of weeks, so I'm not quite sure what what is uh, what where he can you know taste his peanut butter on his toast in the morning or not. But um, yet, but um, but he was interesting. But you know, at the end of the day, I was at dinner with a, with someone else the other night, and they said they'd had COVID, and then you know, I kind of thought, well, this is the world now. You know, you're going to run into people. We're going to run into people in New Zealand in the future now that have had COVID, and there are people probably once this lockdown finishes, who will walk down the street and have a look at a person and think, hmm, I wonder if they got COVID during the lockdown. We just have to get used to it. But having said all that, if you if you maintain your um you know, your if you maintain the procedures like wearing your mask, keeping your distance, washing your hands, all that sort of stuff that we've been told ad nauseum, you kind of and you get vaccinated, that's really all we can do as humans, right? And then we just have to get on with life. So that's what I've been trying to do here. That's what millions of people have been doing here in Japan. Um, and it's just they're getting on with life now. It's, it's the world we live in. Glenn, just finally, uh, I know this is a, a new experience for you in terms of, of uh, what you're witnessing here uh, at these Paralympics. Uh, have you got a, either a standout performance or just a general impression on uh, what this has meant to you as a sports broadcaster? Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's just... I, it's funny, isn't it? We were... You know, as I touched on before, this is elite sport, so in, in many respects, it's no different to any other event that I've been. I mean, we're, we're getting human beings who want to win gold medals, and and uh, their, their uh, impairments are irrelevant in, in a way. Um, but, you know, there are some kind of uh, standout performances. You know, I look at a guy like Riley Batt in the Australian wheelchair rugby team and you know he has no legs he was born with no legs but he's an amazing competitor uh he's just got that so he's got such a strong will to win uh i I find him very inspiring even though australia only came fourth in these games here in the wheelchair rugby i mean the new zealand rugby uh wheelchair rugby player barney cornafiranisi played with a wonderful attitude I, i really enjoyed him um but it's hard to single out one because all of them have got um, amazing backstories, and even the athletes that I'm, I'm going to commentate over the next week to end the games are going to have amazing backstories, which um, I'm sure I'll be touched with too. So, yeah, it's just uh, I just like seeing generally Ian, everyone going out there trying to win and and do the best of their country and themselves, and uh, it's uh, it's just cool to watch. Glenn Lama, uh, as always, uh, much appreciated uh, your thoughts, uh, your sentiments there. Uh, doing a great job. Uh, on a magnificent occasion as well. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, stay safe. It's the main thing. Stay safe Anytime and uh, come home mate. safe. Cheers, yeah, uh, Glenn cheers, Lama there, mate. folks. Uh, 10, 10.17 here uh, on SENZ. Uh, panel time very shortly. It's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Superman!
Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Panel this morning and uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by uh, Ricky Schwinnell from Sky Sport fame, of course, uh, has been at uh, in Tokyo at the Olympics, but home now out of quarantine. I'm sure she's pretty happy about that. Jimmy Case, uh, of course, uh, is uh, a noted correspondent on a lot of things and, of course, is uh, uh, the producer of a number of shows at Sky uh, in particular as well, particularly focusing on rugby. Uh, Ricky, can I start with you, please, this morning? Good morning to you. Uh, how good is that damned Adams family, eh? Uh, you know, a, a phenomenal. Unbelievable. I mean, genetically blessed, clearly, um, with with some of the attributes that you that you look for in athlete height, power, um, and all of that. But uh, but the dedication as well. And I, just, gosh, it was as, as well as marvelling at how good Lisa Adams was. Remembering she only took up the sport a, a few years back. If you're going to have a teacher, it helps to have. Um, your, your double Olympic gold medalist and however other many accolades sister as your coach. Um, but what a moment to see the two of them together um, and what they have achieved as a pair. And, and I know Dame Valerie is very much about, um, you know, this being Lisa's success and Lisa's achievement. But um, to have two sisters working together like that is incredibly special, incredibly special for, for the wider family as well. Yeah, Ricky, and that's an interesting point, actually. Yeah, um, you know, sometimes when you have absolutely jam-packed Olympic stadiums full and, and there's spectators all around the joint, those special moments can tend to get lost. But when there's no one else around, uh, you know, I don't know whether your TV cameras are, are able to get closer or whatever, but it just seems they're all the more special. Yeah, for sure. And and look, in that stadium um, where the, the New Zealand support crew were, were sitting, um, where Dave Valerie was sitting, is very, very close to the shot put circle. It's it's as close as, as they c- it could be. And so it was nice just to see that clump of Kiwis. And, and that was what, a bit what it was like in Tokyo for the Olympics. You would spot these little clump of Kiwis who were always very loud. Um, but I think you were, the, probably the TV cameras are able just to, to pick them out and hone in on that moment and, and, and get in and, and almost, you, you know, you see the, the mouths and, and being able to, to lip read a bit what they were saying to each other and, and, and to share that. Um, yeah, it's, and, and also, I mean, I mean, Dame Valerie has been away since June. She went over to the States to compete and then went to mm. Tokyo, stayed on after her own competition to be there to coach her sister and now finally gets to come home to her family too. Uh, enormous sacrifice for, for, for what she did and for, to help her sister. But of course, yeah, Lisa, the, the star of the show too, it was a great moment. Any number of great New Zealand sports families, uh, Jimmy Kayser. You've seen a lot of them throughout rugby, etc. But I just wonder where, for you, the Adams family fits into the equation. Yeah, well, not many families include an NBA champion and Olympic gold medalist uh, as well, do they? I mean, I've been sitting listening to Ricky and, and thinking of families. You know, I think the Turner family... Uh, is a wonderfully diverse family in mm. terms of sport, but also uh, sort of art and culture. Um, obviously, there's families you know that we know well, like the Crows, the Whitelocks, the Meads, um, the, these sorts of families, the, the Barretts, for heaven's sake. Um, but yeah, this is this is really special, I think. And, and as Ricky said, you know, having your big sister there and uh, that beautiful photo that we've seen uh, of them hugging afterwards. Uh, was, was pretty cool. So no, this this family would have to rate as one of the most uh, 
unique and special families in, in, in New Zealand sport. I mean, they'd be up there, as I say, with and also the Hadleys, uh, who you know pretty well, Smithy. Um, mm. We've had some yeah. amazing families, haven't we? Uh, and uh, and you know you just have to say that the Adams family sit sit right up alongside all of the top ones. Jimmy, I know you're a very forward-thinking man. You uh, keep up with the times, and uh, you've got uh, very open mind when it comes to things. Cop this though, cop this. You know you know you know a lot about uh, rugby history uh, between New Zealand and Australia. Uh, Whitelock, Smith, yep. Moanga, Paisami, Salakai, Lotu, five five out of the probable starting thirty. Uh, staying at home because their wives are having babies. That now, this is uh, this is life. This is modern life, isn't it? Yeah, it is modern life, um, and it's good to see, isn't it? You know, uh, I think it would be slightly different if we had open borders at the moment, because I know that a couple of those All Blacks would have gone and then come back, but obviously they can't do that mm. because they can't get into MIQ and, and those sorts of things. Uh, but yeah, that is life, and you add to that. Um, you know, Shannon Frizzell's not there because he's still waiting for his court case to be resolved and uh, Dane Coles isn't there because he's injured. Um, so that takes the total to seven who, who, who were likely to well, feature in the 23s at least. Uh, it's an interesting sort of a test match, isn't it? It's very interesting from an All Blacks perspective if that continues through to when they play South Africa because I, I think if uh, All Blacks at full strength took on South Africa, I'd beat them. But an All Blacks team without Richie Moanga, um, Aaron Smith, Sam Whitelock in particular, and add into that actually Sam Kane, all of a sudden you start to wonder. Yeah, Ricky, what, what, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it is something that we're, we're going to have to get used to, players uh, toing and froing for these uh, personal family reasons, which you, you obviously you can't deny them in this. Uh, modern era. I can't see Colin Meads, BJ Lahore, Ian Kirkpatrick <laughs> staying at home. I mean, I could be completely wrong. They may have, you know, they may would have uh, in this day and age um, reverted. But it it is a little strange uh, in that in my way of thinking. But I'm probably the strange one here, aren't I? Yeah, uh, you probably uh, with all due respect, Smith, <laughs> probably in this day and age, uh, <laughs> for, for sure. Um, it, look, gosh, who knows? We, I mean, maybe Brian Lahore might have wanted to stay home. He just never got the opportunity. I think Jim's right, though. That you know, the open uh, the, the border issue makes it uh, more challenging, doesn't it? And, and the ability not to just to be able to to hop hop over the ditch or either way. But it's funny, like I was just chatting to a friend and both him and his wife have got an 18-month-old. They're both working from home and you can just imagine what it is like at the moment, just the utter chaos um, in the household and, and them both trying to work, both trying to to raise raise the little guy as well. So I, I guess it's modern families, it's, it's, it's modern life and it's been exacerbated by um, the time that we're in. I tell you what though, uh, 6 o'clock Sunday afternoon, I don't know about you, but I've already started planning my menu and what I'm going to eat and drink and uh, prepare for that afternoon because it's kind of perfect. Oh, I think it's the perfect time yeah, slot, I, I, absolutely. I tell you what, when those kids are three years old, all those All Blacks will be keen to get away on tour. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all know the what three-year-olds are like. Um, <laughs> yeah, six years is going to be interesting, very good, isn't it? it, it yeah. yeah, it's going to be up against the news. Oh no! <laughs> oh well, well, well. <laughs> Can't you know do what the news, news anymore. Hey, Jimmy. 
you, you don't you know what the news is going to say anyway, Jimmy. Don't <laughs> hey look, yeah. we'll get back to that uh, perhaps, and we might ask you about our new All Black captain as well. Uh, it's news time at ten thirty here on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. You're uh, interested in the golf. Uh, they're going down the second playoff hole. Bryson DeChambeau has just hit one about four feet under the pin and is hot odds on now to, to take that title out uh, and uh, bank about uh, three or four million bucks just for the heck of it. Uh, Artie Savia, uh, uh, we've got Jimmy Case uh, and, of course, Ricky Swinnell. Uh, Jimmy Case, you've uh, seen and interviewed a lot of uh, all-black captains over the year. What are the traits for you for Artie Savia, who's uh, become the choice after a, a little bit of debate? Yeah, I find it a really interesting um, selection uh, because he reminds me in, in many respects of Tana Umanga when he got the job in 2004. Uh, and I'm talking here with his sort of public profile. Artie's made it very clear that he's not a big fan of mainstream media um, in, a, in a feature in um, New Zealand Rugby World, which which I edit. Uh, he, he talks there about how... Um, he still feels aggrieved at the way that he thinks that the media treated his brother Julian when he had a bit of a dip in form. So it'll be interesting to see how he interacts with, with media. Uh, that'll be removed, obviously, a little bit because of the fact that they're away from New Zealand and there's, there's no travelling media with them. Uh, but in a positive way, he's a young fella. He's an inspiring fella. He will connect with, the, with what is a very young squad um, and I think will we'll work really well for um, Ian Foster in, in that regard. And look, we can't argue with the fact that he's a fantastic player. And I think to be the All Blacks captain, you have to be one of the best in the in the 23, um, if not the best. And and he's certainly up there. He's he's got a huge engine on him, and he'll keep going for the for the full 80, as the cliche goes. And and in that regard, you can't fault his selection at all. Certainly deserves to be there as a player. Uh, and I think it will be a really really interesting leader for the All Blacks. Yeah, interesting one for me, Ricky, is because the, the, I think if the, you were running a book on it at the TAB, the, the pretty warm favourite was Cody Taylor. Uh, but the way I read it, uh, with, um, with Artie being the, the, the captain, and then you've got uh, Bowden and uh, Brodie Retallick as uh, vice-captains, uh, Cody doesn't seem to fit the mix there, and I, I, I just kind of wonder why. Is it because he's probably not going to play 80 minutes at, at any stage, or um, what, is there anything else to read into that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I do wonder if it's more a reflection of Artie as opposed to a reflection of Cody, and then putting, you know, slotting the pieces together. I mean, Cody Taylor's still very much a, one of the leaders of the All Blacks and in part of that leadership group, isn't he? Um, I think Artie is is that uh, very not that. Cody isn't either, but that very inspirational, follow me kind of guy. It's a very aspirational. Uh, appointment in terms of the overall look and, and feel of the All Blacks, as Jim said. I think, gosh, going back to when we were chatting before about the modern day, I mean, Adi Savia is very much the modern day rugby player, isn't he? With business interests, he's very socially aware, um, it does speak his, his mind as well. Um, I don't know if any of those kind of factors come into play in, in appointing a captain. Um, but yeah, I guess it, it's just a little bit of that mix and, and knowing who's to come back into the squad and things like that. As I, say, I feel like it's more a reflection of, of Artie and the mix that they then wanted around him than it is of Cody Taylor. Well, Jimmy, um, changing tack here. Uh, can we say goodbye to this Warriors season? And uh, I suppose if, you're, if your goal is to make the playoffs, 
yeah, if your goal is to make the playoffs, uh, it's it's a fail, isn't it? It's an out and out fail, to, despite um, all the things that are up against them. Yeah, look, it is a fail. You, you're absolutely correct in that regard. Uh, but the last part of your sentence is, is, I guess, a really telling one, isn't it? You know, there's is there another team in world sport that's had to play their whole season away from home? Um, yeah, sure, they've set up a home base in Australia and those sorts of things, but it doesn't beat being at home, does it? doesn't beat playing in front of your own fans. And, you know, we all know that there are times when a, when a crowd lifts you. There are games that you win at home that you shouldn't have won at home uh, simply because you've been at home. So... I think there's huge mitigating circumstances to the Warriors not making the eight, but but it is regular occurrence, isn't it, that they don't make the top eight? You know why is that? I mean, there just seems to be something missing at the Warriors that means that they're not a consistent side, that they're not a side that's going to, you know, threaten those top teams. And and I don't know what it is. I don't follow them close enough. But um, you know, death axes and this is our year. Oops, it's not our year. Those are perhaps <laughs> the three most predictable things in life. <laughs> oh yes okay Ricky your turn uh, I mean Jim, Jim's spot on look I, I, you know the last year and a half or two years it, it does give them some mitigation and probably it's going to go into next year as well isn't it look you know looking at the way things are um, in the state of things but that doesn't mean it's not hugely frustrating uh, you know another a new coach comes in and it's really no different to to the previous or the previous or the previous and I mean, if anyone had the answer, we wouldn't be having this conversation over and over again like we have every year for the last however many years now. Um, and and oh, I don't know, you wonder, again, at what point, what do they look at again? It's, it's always the coach that's, that's first, but does that change anything? No, because it hasn't changed anything uh, for years. Is it the personnel? Does every time somebody new sign, you know, Sean Johnson's coming back to the club, or you know, they've got this. This is this is the key part, the the, the missing piece, and and there just is. I don't know. Is it it's something ingrained in the fabric of the club? You know, we've all gone round and round in circles on these things time and time again. Um, you look at teams like the Storm team, like you know, that have just got that winning, hard-nosed attitude and everything that they do. There are, they, there seems to be no obstacles in their way um, every time on and off the field. And oh, I, yeah, I mean, how long's a piece of string? And, and yes, we, you know, you do give them that mitigation because of the year of the year that's been. But if we're having this conversation this time next year, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Blow it all up and start again. Uh, Ricky, um, just finally, what are we thinking here? Uh, by the way, Bryson DeChambeau just missed a three-footer for about a million bucks and a million and a half bucks, so we're going down another oh. um, Just That's just by the by. Uh, Ricky, what are we expecting this afternoon? And I'm talking from a sporting sp- point of view here uh, in the announcement. Are we, are we going to remain on hold? Clearly Auckland's not looking good. The rest of the country, are uh, we getting back to any sort of uh, outside activity as such? Well, I don't think so. I mean, we're to be put it bluntly, in Auckland, I think we're pretty stuffed. Um, I'm going to enjoy the, the four walls of my house for quite a bit longer. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could. I would, at a guess, looking at the middle of September, maybe for for the rest of the country to get back up and running in terms of kids' sport, uh, club sport, and and hopefully some high level, some some NPC, some Farah Palmer Cup. Fingers crossed for the Aussie, net, uh, the the England netball series because that's slated for mid mid to late September. But I think we've still got a, another couple of weeks of grinding away, unfortunately, particularly up in Auckland. 
Jimmy, mm. Jimmy, just play the optimist game for a second. Give us some hope. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's not nice. It's not nice hope for Auckland, but it would not surprise me if the FPC and the NPC carried on without the teams in Auckland, which would be yep. huge. It would wipe out half, I think, of the FPC. Ricky, correct me if I'm wrong there, and obviously four teams from the NPC. But you know, the show must go on, and um, I think it. You know, Auckland's going to probably stay in level four for for two more weeks, and then level three for a couple of weeks after that. Well, he can't play sport at level four or level three. Uh, the rest of the country will have dropped down to level two by then, so I can certainly see New Zealand rugby continuing on with their two main domestic competitions without the teams, counties, uh, Auckland, North Harbour and Northland. Mm, stark reality, stark reality. Uh, we're just getting used to missing out. Uh, Jim Kays uh, and Ricky Swinnell, thank you so much for being part of uh, our panel this morning. Some uh, really cool thoughts there. Uh, look, uh, Text us, please, 8833. Uh, let's uh, give you a subject then. Warriors, fail or pass? Fail or pass? Do you just look at the table or do you look at the circumstances? Fail or pass on the Warriors now that their season uh, appears to be done and dusted, even mathematically? I mean, I think if they got six for a win at the weekend, they might sneak in to the top uh, eight, but that ain't going to happen. Uh, Andrew Voss, of course, after 11 o'clock, uh, with all the latest, including uh, what's going to happen to... Uh, Latrell Mitchell after his, uh, his uh, cruel hit his cruel hit on Manu that was uh, pretty average probably the worst part of the weekend in terms of viewing sport uh, we'll be back shortly here on SENZ 10.46 here on SENZ uh, we'll be with Louis Herman Watt uh, and cross over to Paul Moati at the TAB and one of the questions we'll ask him uh, this morning is uh, as a result of one of the texts we got on uh, the other ridiculous thing from the F1, the Formula One this morning, it was uh, called off, uh, well it wasn't called off, they actually raced two laps behind a pace car uh, and then they handed out half the points for some reason. The TAB did not refund bets uh, apparently, so uh, we'll get an update on why. Uh, there'll be a reason why, so we'll uh, get you better informed about that. Um, are you watching the golf, Smithy? Yes, I am sort of keeping one eye on the golf. Uh, and at the moment, uh, Cantlay, uh, they're playing the par 317, the third playoff hole. Cantlay has about a 25-footer uphill, uh, and Deschambeau will have uh, about a 15-16-footer uh, uphill. Cantlay has uh, been putting really brilliantly, uh, and Bryson Deschambeau has missed several opportunities, but you've got a feeling that one of them will go in shortly. Uh, can you just hear Brooks Kepka cheering for Bryson Deschambeau? Yeah, uh, and that's interesting in itself because, of course, they're going to be uh, Ryder Cup teammates uh, in less than a month. They're both guaranteed places on the side. Uh, can you ask Bossy if uh, they are calling the NRL games from Sydney or have they moved to Queensland? Yes, I will actually, because it certainly sounds like they're there, doesn't it? Uh, if you hear all those particular things, it sound, sounds like they are there. Um, morning, guys. Uh, in terms of staying at level four in Auckland, I just can't understand why we can't go out and play golf. This is an interesting one for me too, because it's damn frustrating. Out in the open here, uh, you would have thought there's no better, healthier place to be. So easy uh, to implement safety there. Members only. You have to be local. Like uh, you can't have to come from uh, two or three kilometres around from the course. So uh, I can understand that. Um, I, can, uh, I can also kind uh, of verify, play with someone from your bubble. Well, that's true. I think if we get to level three, you have to do that. Strict social distancing. No flags uh, so you don't touch anything. Treat the bunkers of GUR. Gloves to be worn at all times. Uh, no waiting on T-blocks with others, masks to be worn at all times, all those sorts of things. They make it sound like funny sort of golf, but at least you can get out and about and 
and uh, test yourself and have some camaraderie with uh, uh, some different kind of camaraderie with someone in your bubble. So uh, I, I kind of figure that might be a possibility. But then you start, you open up golf, uh, people start saying, well, you know, I want to go for a, uh, a mountain bike as long as I stay two metres away. And we know what happened down south, John. That was a real shamozzle down south with up to 50 people being uh, mountain biking in the same vicinity at the same time. Didn't go down too well. I, I don't see uh, Jacinda uh, and uh, her lieutenants uh, turning around and saying, oh, by the way, I've got some great news for you golfers this afternoon. Go and play and have some fun. Yeah, no, nah, but that was a great text. I mean, mate, that guy's got it sorted, whoever sent in that text for us. Uh, we love names and places as well with your texts, um, but they have allowed white baiting, Smithy. So that's pretty good for Beaver and um, the competition winner. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing news. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau's have slipped out again, so we're going down uh, playoff hole number four. Uh, right, <laughs> that, that is uh, the situation. We'll keep you updated here with these. Jeez, has playoffs been the order of the day in the PGA this year? Oh, what? Uh, they've been prolific. 10.50 here on SENZ. Louis Herman Watt, Paul Mawadi, when we return. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing.NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. I love this little segment just before 11 o'clock every morning with uh, Louis Herman Watt. And Louis Herman Watt, I've got one word for you. Probabil. Oh, I thought it was um, winner. Or mudgy or something. I thought you were going to give me a big wind up there, Smithy. I've, come, I've been invited into your tipping comp and I've cleaned you up. Yeah, you've won it. That's why I was trying to avoid it, man. I was trying to avoid the damn subject because you've got some of my hay going into your bank account shortly and I'm not at all fussed about it. Thank so. you. Thank you, Ian Smith. I uh, Look, I knew there was a reason that we were going to get on so well. You know, you've got some great sons that love beer and punting, all, you know, very Venn diagrammy. And then I've just been able to take some of your hard-earned, so it's just even sweeter, really. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. So let's get on to Probabil, shall we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. all right, let's do it. Um, she's a freak. L- l- what can you say? Drawn wide, a track pattern, that prob- a racing pattern that probably wasn't going to suit, top weight, although she was pretty well weighted into the race, um, you know, in that specific uh, set weights and penalties, I think it was, or um, she was only carrying the 60 and, and so was Instant Celebrity, wasn't she? So, look, it was... It was a race that she could win. The money came into a dollar eighty, a dollar ninety, or thereabouts. I think she would have jumped maybe a dollar eighty-five. But it's just how tough she is, Smithy. She just when she knuckles down and she wants to win, you know, on a good track that does suit her, you, you can't really beat her. What? What? Where, where would they? Where, if you if you were Brendan Lindsay, you'd be. I'd be taking more cash off you than than I have. But also, where would you be? Where would you be putting her or leading her preparation? Do you think? Oh, if I was uh, Brendan Lindsay, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, to, be, to be perfectly fair, oh look, I, I, I'm not uh, completely over uh, au fait with the with what their big goal is uh, in this particular season of racing. Um, I, I know that you know it's she is incredible horse, absolutely incredible horse. It's hard to know whether uh, if you look at Tiakal. Um, she's numero uno in the stable. I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Trivier and some of the others will have a say, but certainly uh, I, I just think it's a stunning uh, performance. Uh, this far out, 
Louis, what are we looking at this weekend in terms of Australian racing? Uh, Australian racing, it's a good question. There'll be Premier, Premier Sydney and Victorian racing again, although those jockeys, man, Zara implicated as well. That's a shambles. We'll talk about that some stage this week. But New Zealand racing, Smithy, that's the key. Matamata, Cambridge, Wanganui, Tarapa, uh, Ash Burden. From Wednesday, it's just, it's just thoroughbreds every day and we cannot wait for it, mate. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. NRL time here on SENZ, uh, two minutes past 11, uh, and that's that time of the week where we uh, join the voice of Rugby League, Andrew Voss, who himself uh, has just finished his uh, breakfast show. Uh, Vossi, actually we had a text in this morning just asking uh, where are you calling all these games from? Are you allowed at the stadiums? Do you call it off tube uh, these days? Uh, I, I don't know under, under all those sorts of um, um, COVID restrictions. Uh, what's your situation? No, very good question. Good morning, Smithy. Good morning to all our uh, listeners. Just a regulation weekend of rugby league, wasn't it? Not much to talk about. Uh, no, sadly, <laughs> like from a commentator's point of view, we are calling from uh, the studio and it's the same for the uh, Oh, primarily for the free-to-win network. What happens is it's quite an interesting setup. Um, so play-by-play commentators like myself, we're calling from a studio, but we do have a sideline commentator there at the ground. So you know, over the weekend, you had Corey Parker. He's at the sideline for the Roosters' uh, Rabbitohs game. Um, Gordon Tallis worked on the sideline over the weekend. I was working with Billy Moore yesterday. Yet you know, I have no contact with Billy. I just hear his voice. He's on the sideline at the game. And we're calling off a monitor. Look, it's not perfect, but I'm not going to complain. Um, you know, people still in jobs, and we've we've had to do what has to be done to get by and, and keep the coverage going to the keep the coverage going to the viewers. So that's how it's been. I look forward to the next time I'm actually at a game. Yeah, uh, I tell you what, though, your, your techos and that do a great job because with the effects, etc., you would never ever know. And I work in the industry, uh, and to be honest, uh, it sounds like you're at the games, which is uh, a credit to. Those people involved, boy, uh, you called some action over the weekend. And the, uh, in terms of that perfect run, that amazing run by the Storm, um, look, uh, the Eels, I think, comprehensively outplayed them at times yesterday. And twenty-two ten, that uh, is testament to that. Oh, Smith, you're hundred percent right. I mean, you know, break it down. Um, Melbourne didn't score a second half point, and while they weren't, you know, they weren't anywhere near their best. They weren't that bad, Melbourne, but they were kept scoreless in the second half by a Parramatta side that there was no secrets about this performance. There's no shortcuts. It was just hard work. It was just attitude readjustment. And suddenly, I said in commentary, welcome back, Parramatta. Where you been? Because, you know, that sort of attitude on a week-to-week basis, you are going to be in every game you play because they have the talent. You know, they do have some very good players. So if they take that attitude where... You know, you, you just do it. Whatever has to be done, you get done. And they're scrambling goal line defence. Melbourne had more line breaks than Parramatta. Yet Parramatta win the game and don't concede a second half point. Parramatta's back, baby. <laughs> that, if, that's, if they can do that this week, they challenge Penrith. Mm. And if they take that into the finals, they challenge anyone. But imagine that. If they go into the finals, having beaten Melbourne and Penrith back-to-back weeks, what a confidence boost that would be. Let's look at um, the, the Warriors because now we can't even say mathematically it's possible. It is not. Season done and dusted. If, you're, if your idea and your goal is to make the playoffs initially, uh, I haven't done it again, 
Um, now, I've asked a couple of people this this morning, but uh, in your considered opinion, do we mark it down as a fail, or do we just say, look, uh, great that they were there, success on that front, uh, and let's hope better for next year when they can play at home. Is it as simple as that? Yeah. Uh, well, well, OK. Well, in pure football terms, no, of course it's a fail. It's a course, of course it's a fail, but there is an asterisk next to anything that's happened to the Warriors the last couple of years, to be quite honest. No team has done the sacrifice that they have done. And, and now to think that they're talking about how do we address the next off-season starting in November and might have to be based at Redcliffe and all the rest. I mean, no team can get their head around that. And, and you read the story of, you know... These other issues that come into it, these these life issues. I mean, kids going to five different schools, and you know, the past two years. I mean, these are tough things to contend with, and just um, just concentrate on footy. So, yeah, it's a fail in terms of wins and losses, but um, it, as I said, it comes with circumstances that no other team has had to contend with, like the Warriors. So, you know, I, I can't make any guarantees about things changing. Um, for the start of next season even. I, I know we're getting vaccination rates up and all those sorts of things, and they're talking about freedoms and, and movement and all these sorts of things, but by gee, there's a hell of a lot of water to pass under the bridge between now and the start of next season and knowing how next season is going to look. If you look at uh, other results uh, from last Thursday uh, over the four-day uh, period, um, anything really a standout or anything revealing with what's coming up for you? Well, we, we're talking outside of the Rabbitohs, Roosters, dramas. As for actual results, well, you, you do have to say, well done, Newcastle. At least they have qualified for the finals. Their form hasn't been exactly top shelf, but the fact is they're in. You know, they can, they're comfortably in. They are going to play finals football for the second straight year. So well done to them, but their form well short of um, making me think they're a genuine contender. Um, the Sharks are the interesting one. I mean, they now hold down eighth position, destiny in their own hands but run into a Melbourne side. What we did learn out of the weekend, I mean, Manly's probably the only side that I heard post-game say, we're going to pull, pick full strength next weekend. Des Hasler said, and, and Tom Trebojevic went on Fox League at the end of the game and said, oh, no, I'm playing next week. I'm not going to be rested. Um, Penrith are likely to rest a few players. Uh, Parramatta certainly will. Clint Gutherson uh, won't be playing, and, and maybe a few others. Melbourne are going to stick to their plan, even though the minor premiership is still up for grabs. They will rest players this week. <laughs> South Sydney, I'll give you the mail. Adam Reynolds won't be playing. Damian Cook won't be playing this week. They'll be rested. So it's going to be a bit of a tipper's nightmare. And I think one big story that's going to develop this week, Smithy, people are going to ask the questions about the integrity of the last round. Because, you know, other clubs are going to say, oh, hang on, is it Cronulla get a half-strength Melbourne side? Or, or you know, a, the Dragons play South Sydney in the last round and... It, it has an effect on the makeup of the four and the eight, but I don't think people are going to. It's not going to sit all that well with people. In the AFL, they normally have a system mm. where they have a week off before the playoffs start, and that sort of takes mm. away the resting of players because everyone gets a week off. The, the NRL might even investigate that or or consider that, um, faced with or, or given what we're faced with this week. Uh, don't you earn the right though? If you, I mean, you're talking about a very long season here, Vossy. Do you yep. do you not earn the right? To tinker? Yeah, oh, no, of course you do. No, it's, it's, no one's breaking mm. any rules at all here. No, no, no one at all. I mean, mm. no one bats an eyelid last year. Melbourne did it in the last round and lost to the Dragons, but it had no implications on the table. They already had the minor premiership wrapped up and the Dragons weren't going to make the finals. But this year, you know, Canberra could play their backsides off on Friday night, or rather on Thursday night, and beat the Roosters, and then Cronulla 
get the benefit of playing a half-strength Melbourne to go past them and into the eight. You know, so if you're playing Melbourne at any other time of the season, you're an outsider. Crowell might even start favourites this week against Melbourne if Melbourne are fielding a team like they did in the last round last year, mm. um, where they had, you know, to say this will, this will be a side with all the, the extras that are um, in the ranks. The only thing that may prevent absolute mass changes is the squads are quite reduced this year because they are in Queensland. They don't have everyone available for selection. They've only got the players that are with them in their bubbles. Talking to uh, Andrew Voss, of course, uh, he is uh, our oracle in terms of the NRL. Um, and we know for a fact that uh, when the Roosters line up against the Raiders, Joseph Manu won't be playing. Uh, what about Latrell Mitchell's future and what did you make of all that? And the fact that, to me, the arrogance and the non-remorse that has been surrounded by the whole thing is probably as sickening as the act for me. Oh, Smithy, I, look, my, 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 my first thought when the dust settled, it was just sad. It, it's really sad. First of all, from a fan's point of view, um, these are two great players. Manu and Mitchell are great players, and neither are going to now, you know, that's their, both their season's over. No fault of Joey's, but certainly fault of Luttrell. Now, I'll, I'll say this. Mitchell doesn't go in to break Manu's cheekbone in the tackle, but it was reckless and careless. He, he had no idea what his point of contact was going to be. He was just rushing over to hit as hard as possible. And that is part of the game. But if you make the mistake, and it was so obvious what had been done, that people say, I hit a battle, you don't have to apologise or whatever. Well, I think you do. You know, I, I think you know, the fact that they were former teammates, Latrell was looking him in the eye, and, and Joey's gone up to him and, and basically said, what did you do that for? I mean, it was quite obvious that, you know, I think Latrell is such a great player. You know, one of the best I've seen. That's how high I regard him. But he needs to own this. And he needs to come out now. And, you know, I, I spoke on my breakfast program this morning about your integrity. The six-week ban is just six weeks out of your football life. But the damage to your integrity as to how you handle it is what Latrell needs to really sit down and think about. And I'm quite surprised that he hasn't made any public comments since the incident, given it was Friday night. To come back on after his sin binning and score, you know, a powerhouse try, but then to throw the ball down on the ground as if you're throwing it at Fletcher Baker, the, Eastern, the, the, the Roosters player on the ground, I mean, that was arrogance. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that, that where if there's anyone in Mitchell's camp that's advising him, because I think he's being poorly advised. I mean, I can, I can actually get over the tackle on Manu because that is football and these things happen. But all the things around that, I think Latrell's got a lot of growing up to do. And he's not a kid. He's not a kid. He's a young man. And he's one of the greats of our game. But he needs to, he needs to look at the whole situation here. And he now dictates how he will be regarded by the, you know, by the fans, by the commentators and all the rest. He's in control of his own integrity. Mm, yeah, he certainly is. Uh, two really important games this weekend still. Uh, some of them are far from uh, a dead weekend in that respect. Uh, the Raiders versus the Roosters Thursday night, massive, absolutely massive for the Raiders. Uh, the following night, uh, the Sharks against the Storm. And uh, OK, with uh, the, the, the side the Storm might front up with, we, we do not know. But that becomes very in, in, integral in terms of what you were saying before, because the Sharks still have a chance. Yeah, that's right. So and I, at least we've got the order of those games. It'd be... Well, it's game over. If Cronulla had it played on Thursday night and they beat Melbourne, then that ends the top eight race. But, you know, Canberra, 
all they have to be thinking about, we just have to win. Do they deserve to make the eight if they lose? Well, they won't. They won't. So they have to get past the Roosters, who are even further injury depleted now. So that is a big game. And yes, Friday night, um, the, the early game, Sharks-Melbourne is big. No matter what, like, I'm, I'm certainly not dismissing Melbourne. Even if they have half a dozen out, they've proven. You know, it's Melbourne. They're still not easy to beat, whatever they put in on. But we know that Bromwich isn't going to be there, suspended. Uh, Addo Carr injured. I do wonder whether they will possibly rest the likes of Cameron Munster, Brandon Smith. There may be some of their bigger names that get rested because they said they will stick to the plan. The minor premiership is not something you can hold and carry around, they, they say. That's their quote. So the grand final is the end goal. So they will rest players. I'm thinking there will be six out for Melbourne. Uh, and, and then you go into Friday night, Parramatta Penrith. Well, well, will Penrith know when they run on the field what has happened in the previous game? Because would you tell Penrith? Would you tell Penrith that Melbourne have lost and that you can win the minor premiership? I, I don't know whether you would. Would you? I, I think it's a, it's an interesting one that goes into Friday night. Mm. And then yeah, they'll either clear um, that just... extra incentive because they will only find out like you know five minutes before they run on if Melbourne have lost. Yeah. So do you keep that a secret or not? I, I don't know. Uh, the other one is uh, a slightly non-league one, but it is a league one because, uh, and you know what I'm going to ask you here, um, you know, is what you get something like Latrell Mitchell did and you see that that's bad for league. That's a bad, in the face of things, that's not a good look for league, uh, mm. particularly when you involve a hero. Uh, and then you get the other guy making the headlines, um, uh, Adam Elliott, along with Millie Boyle and their toilet tryst as such, mm. I think it's being labelled as. Uh, what, what's going to be uh, the upshot of that? Do you feel what's worse? Actually, to be fair, rugby league never sleeps, Smithy. We just get story after story after story, and that's almost like fish and chip wrapping now, isn't it? It's old news now. Uh, but Canterbury have a decision to make. Yes, they will. And the the you know there seems to be a move towards Alan Elliott will be sacked by the club. I know there's been some support from sponsors and saying they'll support him, but they might not support him with a contract. So that, that's where that will end. He's already been fined by the league, and now Canterbury, um, while it's not you know, absolute priority, I think they will deal with it reasonably swiftly. Phil Gould's now at the head of um, the football operations, but I, I think the board have to be in on it as well, and the decision has to be made there on Adam Elliott. It's not just a one-off in the case of Adam. He, he's definitely got issues, um, and does he need to be Canterbury's problem? Sorry for being heartless, but no, he doesn't. You know, he's a grown man again, um, he doesn't have to be the responsibility like a, a crash of a rugby league club. So yeah, but Adam Elliott will pick up a contract elsewhere. But that's how it works in mm. rugby league. You know, he hasn't committed the crime of the century, not 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 by a long stretch. But he's run his course at Canterbury, one would think. Oh well, hey, hey just finally, um, just hoping back to actually the game on the field. Um, there's a big, obviously, always been a big fan base here, dating back to Graham Lowe days with Manly and Matthew yep. Ridge, etc. Etc. Um, they've made a, a pretty good and impressive uh, finish to uh, the season. They, of course, uh, had a, a predictable win over the Bulldogs at the weekend, but uh, they've got themselves into the final four. Significance of that for them? Yeah, well, I had both Cameron Smith and Matthew Johns on my program this morning here in Sydney. Both believe Manly can definitely win the competition, and it is the Tom Trebojevic factor. He's going that well. He's going to win the Dallium but not just, he's going to win it by a stretch. <laughs> I think he's picked up nothing but threes. I don't think he's picked up any twos or ones. Just about every game he's played, he's picked up a three when Manly win. I mean, it's been an extraordinary performance. His fourth hat-trick of the season yesterday. 
Um, yeah, Manly, like, look at the permutations. They win this week. They might either run into Penrith or Melbourne first week of the finals. If I'm Penrith or Melbourne, I don't want to play Manly. You know, I want to avoid Manly in the final series. That's the regard they're held right at the moment. They are a very dangerous side, a big month. They could just win the competition. What about that? Uh, what about that? Uh, and what about listening to Andrew Voss every Monday morning? It's uh, it's great uh, because uh, once we're finished with Vossi, we don't have any questions unanswered. Thank you very much uh, to Vossi again uh, for his input there. Uh, look, uh, in terms of that playoff, uh, people have said what's uh, going on. Well, uh, it's still going. They're running out of light. Uh, incredibly, um, DeChambeau having hit a driver in the drink on the 18th, uh, got it up and down for par. Cantley made par. They went to the par. Uh, 317th, um, DeChambeau knocked us six feet away, Cantley knocked us two and a half feet away. They both made birdie there. They're both in the middle of the fairway playing the uh, 18th, which I think is now the sixth or seventh playoff hole. Quite incredible. Uh, 8833 is our text number uh, and 0800 150 811, your calls and texts next. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's uh, 11.23. Uh, Chris has said, uh, Smithy, they're heading into uh, another playoff hole here. Are you watching? Uh, it's unreal viewing. It is unreal viewing because Patrick Cantlay has just birdied uh, the next playoff hole with about an 18-footer straight in the middle of the cup. And now Bryson DeChambeau has about an 8-footer uh, left to right for Birdie himself to send it to another playoff hole. And these are not easy parts, but Bryson DeChambeau is a, a brilliant putter, as we know that. Uh, we've got some uh, an, on another one uh, in terms of uh, golf. Uh, Yvonne, uh, thanks for texting in, Yvonne. Lowest common denominator, Smithy. Last level three on our local course, many entitled and local and members, not in the same or wider bubbles, met and played in groups, re- resulting in the club having to close the course. Have they learnt, roll on Wednesday? Yeah, well, you're always going to get those people that are going to try on. Um, but uh, I know at my golf course, in Bridge Par in particular, they will be monitoring it with uh, official starters and things like that. So news is that uh, DeChambeau misses putt downhill and Patrick Cantlay has won this tournament in an epic, an epic playoff. So I hope I haven't spoiled for you in terms of uh, you've recorded it and you want to watch it at home. If you have recorded it, watch it anyway. Some of the most pressure golf, brilliant pressure golf you're, you're ever likely to see. Uh, uh, Paul comes in from Christchurch. Uh, with Joe Root in spectacular form, do England have any chance in the upcoming Ashes series? Well, you know, they, they're such a hot and cold team. Having just mocked up India in such dominant fashion, I'd say I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I look, I look at conditions and I look at Australia at home and Australia is their record at home, and I say that they're the hot favourites. The reason why, uh, even though they've got turmoil in the camp, it seems, uh, they'll galvanise for the Ashes. They will. I, I, you know, they're, they're such good individual players. Very few weaknesses there. They've got the perfectly balanced bowling attack for their conditions. Uh, when you, you look at their battery of quick bowlers, and the trump card is always Nathan Lyon because they, he gets things out of Australian pitches that visiting spinners tend not to be able to do. Have England got the bowling strength? Um, well, no, they're, they're developing bowlers like uh, Ollie Robinson, who's been very good in this series. Uh, they need Stuart Broad to come back, but at what capacity so he can form that partnership uh, with Jimmy Anderson? Uh, but Jimmy Anderson at, at 125, 128 to 130 
is not going to be the same in Australian conditions on a hot day as he will be at Lords or he will be at Headingley. Uh, and it's as simple as that. His record is outstanding, but the years are catching up with him. And I believe, uh, for that reason, Paul, thanks for your text, I, I believe Australia are, are warm favourites. I'm not sure what the, the uh, odds are, if uh, you can get odds this far out, uh, but if you can get generous ones on Australia, uh, I'd take them. I simply would take them. Um, yes, John. Yes, yeah, Smithy, just going on that Australia factor, we've seen it with New Zealand. We're the best test team in the world. We hold the mace, but, man, it remains, you know, the, the rock under my bed uh, is that performance that we had in Australia uh, where we just got cleaned up three tests in a row. Just why is Australia so hard? I mean, is it because the pitches vary from city to city? Is it because the Australians grow another league? Just why, why the problem with Australia? I think we've always been a bit intimidated, to be honest, even in sides where, when I went uh, way back when we felt like we had a, a really competitive side that we could take them on man for man. There's still that element of intimidation, which is Australian cricket, Australian sport, I think it's fair to say, overall. Uh, I'd have loved to have been an uh, all-black at times over there, knowing full well when you go over there, you're pretty much the favourite, because when you go over there in a cricket team, you're always the underdog. And sometimes I think you play like you're the underdog. In the last series, of course, we had problems with injuries. We lost players in the first test, morning of the first test. Uh, we never really recovered from that. Uh, then we had illness uh, heading into the Sydney test. Uh, we just weren't good enough in the batting department at the top of the order to withstand it. And that's what uh, England will have to do. Uh, they're going to have to find a top order that can weather the Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins factor early in the test match. If they can be none down at drinks on the first morning, one down at lunch, uh, they get a chance. They've got a chance because they'll get a good total. But not many sides can do that. And New Zealand were simply, simply unable to do that. Picked the wrong side in a couple of areas, paid the price for it, uh, and never really looked likely. Yeah, and the Justin Langer thing, that's, that's all good. Is that just what happens with Australian teams? They just have some internal fighting and then they get on with it? No, not generally. Not generally. Uh, I think, you know, this is uh, going to be an interesting one which they're, they're going to have to sort out because you can't have rumblings in a dressing room of that order because one thing you will have about Australian teams is very strong personalities as individuals in their group. They're opinionated people. Um, you know, they're very strong for their own particular cause. Uh, and then, you know, you've got the likes of, of Steve Smith, uh, Lubber Shane in the batting department, very much individuals. Uh, and then you throw in someone like David Warner, who can be confrontational, uh, a little bit controversial. Uh, and, and then, of course, you, you get to the point where is Tim Payne the most popular captain in Australia? He's not the people's choice, uh, but he is the leader. And along with Justin Langer, they're the hierarchy. And as long as they stay powerful together and Australia play remotely well, they're pretty safe in their jobs. Uh, the ideal, I think the nicest bloke to probably run the cutter is Pat Cummins. Uh, you know, he, day in, day out, seems to be the nicest guy to deal with. Uh, he, he seems to be uh, non-controversial on the field. You never see him involved in any anything uh, too, to, uh, you know, too out, out front or, or uh, too nasty. I, I guess the word is nasty, because when Australia are, are, are down in the dumps, they can get nasty. Uh, and I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure that uh, the squad will go away from that if, if they're under pressure. Uh, in terms of losing the dressing room, nothing worse than walking in the dressing room and people. Um, saying good morning to you and not really meaning it. Horrible feeling. 11.30am uh, here on SCNZ. Please, uh, 
It's stump smithy time. Light up the lines, have a crack, win $50 worth of vouchers. Still in lockdown, still a chance to turn 50 into 500, and wouldn't that be good? Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Love hearing your thoughts on cricket, Smithy. It's always a pleasure. Every morning on SENZ, and I loved Andrew Voss saying that Manly's the team no one wants to play and they can win the Premiership. For a Seagulls fan, Smithy, that was just music to my ears. Yeah, just by the by, folks, uh, in, uh, in terms of uh, radio technique, your producer can always suggest things in your ear, and John Day suggested, just at the time I was about to say goodbye to Vossi, John Day said, no, 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 please ask him about the Seagulls. Ask him about the Seagulls. So that's how it really is. There's the honest good, to goodness truth about it, John. Just get on with the quiz and don't deny it. Don't pull back the curtain, Smithy. Just let people know that Andrew Voss wanted to talk about Manly and called them potential winners of the NRL. Excellent. Well, anyway, on line two, we have one of our favourite listeners. It's Reed from Gore. G'day, Reed. How are we going, team? Very well, thanks, mate. A uh, bit of a while since we've talked to you. Uh, how's your lockdown going? Yeah, I'm an essential worker farming, so I um I life as usual for me, guys. Nice, nice. What do you do on the what, what do you do on the farm? Yeah, graze, grazing cattle. Grazing cattle, mate. Okay, that's good grazing because uh, we're gonna need, if we stay in this, we're gonna need a lot of beef from here on in. Uh, do you often think to yourself, I'm in Gore, they're in Auckland, I'm a squillion kilometres away from them. What a why am I as a Gore citizen in lockdown? You say that to yourself, you people? Yeah, well, I think, you know, obviously Tuesday, I think the two-week cycles probably was a pretty good option, to be honest. But, um, yeah, now now let's just let's get us down to level two. Absolutely, and let's get on with the quiz, eh, Reid? Three sporting categories, and then after that, three questions. Get them all right, you get 50 bucks thanks to the TAB, but get one wrong, and Smithy can come in for a stumping, which he has been doing a lot of lately. So your sporting categories, rugby, cricket, or golf? Oh, I'd have to go rugby, I think, guys. Rugby, keep it solid. I don't think there's any stags questions in here, but we'll wait and see. All right, rugby, question number one. Who is the most capped springbok of all time? Uh, Jeepers. I think six of them have played a hundred games. Let's go with Victor Matfield. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Very impressive. It is Victor Matfield with 128 tests. Smithy, was he on the tip of your tongue? He was close. I was, I was looking at Habana. Have you got the list of six there or not? Uh, not in front of Never. me, but from memory, Habana was, I think, two tests behind Matfield with 126. Okay. Yeah. Close, but no cigar. Nice work, Reid. All right, question number two. France are yet to win the Rugby World Cup. Of the nine tournaments played so far, how many times have the French been beaten in the final? Uh... We're going to go with four, three. There he goes, all the way up into the stand. What a hit into the first tier. 
That's an incredible goal. That is right. The French, always the danger team at World Cups. They've been beaten in the final three times. Smithy, you got any idea which three they might have been? Twice, twice by us. Yep. Quite clearly at, at uh, Eden Park twice. Uh, and I think were they beaten by the uh, the English as well? Well, no, no, they weren't. Oh, look. no, I, I can't. Maybe South Africa once. Mate, once we get knocked out, it's I, I forget about World Cups. So 1999, uh, the Wallabies beat France yeah. in the final, but I have no memories right. of that because okay. the French beat okay. us, and then I just didn't take any notice of what happened in the final. Ooh. All right, number Fair three, enough. Reed, you're still going, mate. Who was the last All Blacks coach? to not suffer any defeats during its tenure? Oh. Very good question. Oh. I'm just going to have to go with... I don't know, I'm probably not right, but I'll go Graham Henry. He suffered a few defeats. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. This could be in your wheelhouse, Smithy, for the stumping. Uh, it could be in my wheelhouse. Um, I'm not sure that it is, though. Uh, one of my favourite ever men that I met uh, over the years uh, around sporting scenes, uh, no longer with us now, but I'm going to go Sir Brian Lahore. He's got him. He's out court. No, that is oh. not correct. Unlucky Smithy, that means that you get the chocolates read from Gore. It was Fred the Needle Allen with 14 wins from 14 tests between 1966 and 1968. And BJ Lahore was part of that side, wasn't he? With Meads and Tremaine and all the rest of the goats of All Blacks rugby. So, Reed, well done, mate. Stay on the line. We'll get your details. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Anytime, Reed. Anytime. Good to have a yep. winner from the Deep South in lockdown. Yeah. Uh, Gets to me a wee bit, starting with a loss there, but uh, the multi, the multi will get up and uh, just uh, reminding you of what the multi is for today. Uh, the Yankees uh, to beat the Oakland A's at buck sixty-two. You might have already had to be on there. You might uh, get live betting on it. Uh, U.S. Open men's tennis uh, beginning tonight. John Millman to beat the Henri Luckerson at a buck forty-six, and Simona Halep uh, to beat Camilla Giorgi at a dollar seventy-six. Now, first round odds they're quite generous for Simona Halep, who usually is seated very high in these events. I might not have looked into that closely enough, actually. On reflection, I would have thought she'd be more like a $1.20 shot in the first round. But if she gets up, and she's a great little player, if she gets up, that multi will be $4.16. Ah, 88.33 is our text number. You've still got a chance there. We'll make a late call. It is 0800-150-811. It's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.44 here and a text from Steve saying we watched the ESPN documentary on the home run race in 1998 between uh, Maguire, Mark Maguire and Sammy Sosa. Of course, uh, Mark Maguire got in trouble uh, with uh, steroids. Uh, Forgot how amazing it was. Yeah, uh, thanks very much for that. They have some wonderful things uh, on ESPN. They have uh, great 30-30 documentaries as well. They are compulsive viewing. I watched one over the weekend uh, where they were talking about quarterbacks in the NRL and they were basically uh, highlighting the fact how hard it was to be a black quarterback back in the day, uh, right through to now where there's six or seven black quarterbacks, I think, playing in the NRL and the transition uh, from uh, just how hard with all that skill uh, it was to to get through to that point. And uh, certainly they are huge. I mean, huge in the NRL. They're absolutely huge. 
Yeah, I know you're saying NRL there, Smithy, um, and you mean NFL, but NRL's on my mind after talking to... Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. NFL, yeah. After talking to Vossi and just talking about calling it off the tube and just... I, I watched um, the Manly game yesterday and I watched the Storm game, both uh, that he called and I had no idea that he was not at the ground. It wasn't until he told us before that he's still in Sydney calling it off the tube. So just what is involved in calling games off the tube? Have you had to do it during your career? Yeah, I did some, uh, uh, one of my first ever uh, games of uh, All Black Rugby, we, we went to um, the Melbourne Cricket Ground and we effectively, uh, we were locked out for contractual reasons. So having taken a crew over there to broadcast the game, we were actually locked out of the ground. So we had to go down to a, like this, a radio studio uh, in Melbourne and call it off, basically off tube there. So you get the live pictures coming in and you float the sound over the top of it and it comes back to your broadcast back in New Zealand. So uh, probably a slightly delayed uh, when you look at technology back in those days. Uh, it takes a while from a signal to get to a signal, etc., and bounce off things and come back down. Uh, but more latterly, yes, uh, we, we've done a few uh, on Sky because of uh, COVID and, and cutting back on uh, in, in terms of people being at the ground. So I've been to McLean Park on two occasions now, uh, and the main commentators have been sitting in a studio in Auckland. So... When I say the main commentators, you're talking about uh, the play-by-play the -play commentator, your, your Grant Nisbet, your Tony Johnson, your Jeff McTainch, your Ken Laban, th those kind of guys. Uh, they're, they're calling the plays, Ricky Swinnell, when, when she uh, is calling the games. Uh, and then you, you go across to um, your Mills Muliaina, Justin Marshall-type analysts along the way, and then you have your, your sideline person who would normally uh, be part of that unit at the ground. Uh, well, it, it's a you send a guy over on the sidelines or a girl on the sidelines because uh, you still want to you do your your interview type content and you do that uh, at a distance at a two metre distance so you don't get come in close contact with the coaches or the key players but you still want to have that for your pre match and your post match and your half time part of the show so that one of the reasons why that person is there uh, is to see that also uh, the person who is at the ground at ground level can see anything developing on the sideline things that don't happen, um, you know, in terms of on the screen. So when you're commentating a game of rugby or cricket, for that matter, uh, you really do have to commentate what's on the screen because that's what the people at home can see. Any idea? And of course, your analyst. Sorry, mate. Your analyst, uh, yeah, your analyst goes over the top of that uh, on the replays that he can see and you can see at home. Uh, and then, of course, your, your, your sideline person is your third point of, uh, of contact in that regard, uh, and they are able to see what's happening. Uh, and catch up with things on the sideline, the extent of an injury, you know, uh, possible substitutions coming up, play, players warming up so you can preempt uh, things that are happening there. Conditions, you know, how windy is it? Has the wind picked up? Those sorts of things. And that person stays at the ground. The problem you have, the slight problem that you have is there's a delay uh, between the two people sitting in the studio who are side by side, can look at each other uh, and you know, know exactly what they're at. But there's a delay in what they're saying from the picture to their voice back. Uh, and there's there's your problem point, and you'll quite often um, when when you have it, or people are doing it for the first time, or even if you're slightly more experienced at it, you'll have overlap in commentary, and that's because the person on the sideline perhaps has not um, given enough space in between the the finishing of the commentary and their time to come in, or um, someone comes in with a late thought over the top of the person on the sideline. That's that's effectively how it works off tube. Uh, they still fade. Um, the sound effects, because uh, the soundies will be there as part of the crew at the ground. They'll still have those sideline uh, people walking up and down. They'll have 
um, affects mics around a potential crowd if there is any. So you'll still get, and you'll feel uh, very professionally done. In most cases, I'd challenge you to say, in most cases, I challenge you to say, is that one off tube or not? You know, it's it's pretty tough, and they do a great job. But it's it's a fact of commentary, and, and it um, you'd be surprised. I would say uh, of those NRL, not NFL, NRL commentaries that are going on in Australia, I would say ninety um, percent of them are off tube. Ninety percent off tube. Yeah. Any idea what's going to happen with Sunday and the third Bledisloe at six o'clock? Um, look, uh, that will be, to my knowledge, uh, we're not sending co- a commentary team, Sky not sending a commentary team there. Um, at the moment, we might be sending a news-type reporter, I would be thinking, because the All Blacks are on tour for a long time. We might have a, a news reporter going over there who's on tour with the All Blacks uh, for quite some time. Don't know who that is, haven't heard officially, uh, but we'll, I would be thinking um, there might be commentary uh, from New Zealand out of tube, or we might take the Australian feed. At this point in time, being Monday morning, I have not been told. Yeah, and just just finally in this interview, Smithy, about broadcasting and Sky, just a, the way <laughs> they're looking about, um, you know, cutting costs. COVID's been tough for everyone. Is calling off mm-hmm. tube something that maybe they've looked at now and gone, actually, it's not too bad. Let's maybe do more of this. Or Sky just fully committed to being there at every game because the the positives outweigh the negatives. Well, look, costs are always a factor in anything you do, John, and profit margins, etc., and particularly. Uh, while COVID is floating around, uh, it's, it's inhibiting your ability to make money and, and turn to profit. So they'll always look at those. It's a lot cheaper to have Auckland-based commentators pop into a studio and call it than it is to fly them, um, house them, and fly them home again and pay uh, you know week, uh, daily expenses, etc. Rental cars. It's a lot. It's a lot cheaper. I mean, it just makes sense. So when you're covering seven NPC games over a weekend, three or four Farah Palmer Cup games, and Sky are committed to doing all that. Um, you can imagine the cost involved, particularly when you head out of Auckland where the bulk of the staff live and start heading down to the South Island and taking people down there. So, yeah, um, once they, they get it up and running and, and uh, they believe it's absolutely um, spot on, uh, it will be it will be uh, a, a thing of the future, no doubt about it. Um, Smithy JD, also the ESPN doco, uh, doco called Unguarded on Chris Hennon, a fantastic basketball high school then college player, but drugs destroyed his NBA career, now an advocate for staying clean. Uh, cheers for that, Anthony. I'll, I'll look out for that one. Haven't seen that one yet. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, basically how it works, John, in terms of the technical side of it. Uh, and uh, I'll try and find out what's happening in, in terms of uh, the commentary uh, and tell you tomorrow, uh, I think, uh, here on SENZ. Uh, but for today, uh, it's 8 minutes to 12, and uh, when we come back, we'll have a catch-up with Staffy as we look to head into Monday afternoon. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, three minutes still uh, midday, just a couple of late texts. A good doco that was just on Sky was Kings uh, about Leonard, Hagler, Hearns and Duran when they were all fighting each other. Uh, that's a beauty, says Carl. Keep an eye on that. Uh, also, uh, for the Bunnings NPC, have the rest of New Zealand NPC playing, not an Auckland team, uh, been decided yet, that's uh, from Michael, a bit jumbled up there Michael, but I get the gist of what you're saying, no, I don't think any decision has been made yet, they'll know more this afternoon as we all will, and uh, particularly if we're listening to SENZ because Mark Stafford uh, is in charge between 12 and 4, and I distinctly remember you saying last week Mark Stafford, Artie would be kind of a reluctant captain, you know him very well, but 
all of a sudden he is the, he's got the job and he was quite emotional about it. Yeah, and I think the honour of it really got to him, didn't it? Um, with the emotion, um, it's it's a heck of a thing to be asked to lead your country, and um, I hope it doesn't affect the ga- his game. But just by the sounds of it, he's uh, it's inspired him, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I guess it's one thing to captain the Hurricanes; it's a completely other thing to captain uh, the wonderful legacy team of the All Blacks. And um, and you know, I was pleased to hear how he how he felt about being bestowed that honour um, and it's fantastic I, and I hope it translates into a wonderful Artie Savia game because if Artie plays a great game we win Yeah I, I'm with you on that I, I am with you on that and he certainly with the, I, I, that's the way he with his leg drive he's never tackled until there's five guys on top of him and I could follow that kind of player myself uh, if I was playing with him uh, Staff what about this afternoon mate? Uh, this afternoon, first interview, uh, looking forward to this. Lima Sopawanga is back in the country. Um, he'll be going yep. back up north again soon, but just to chat to him about the life and times of Lima, really, in the Northern Hemisphere, and also want him to get his insights into Richie Moonga and Bowden Barrett and what they offer as first fives and uh, sort of how he'd prepare to play both of them, their threats. We're going to join uh, Brett Phillips, who's got a tennis podcast. He is going to be our correspondent right through the US Open Tennis. Uh, Bob Harrig, senior golf writer for ESPN about what we saw in the FedEx Cup playoffs, which have just finished up. And we're going live into the Jimmy Smith afternoon show right towards the end of our show where I talk on his show, he talks on my show, all simulcast. That's always fun. Uncle, give my regards to Uncle Jimmy. Thanks, <laughs> uh, Okay, uh, thanks very much too. Uh, thanks very much too to Trudy outstanding this morning. Uh, Brian, of course, on panel as always. JD, uh, we had a bit of a slow start the with uh, a drop phone line. Is- it's Tyre Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Tyre Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit tyrepower.com.au now.